Thank you, everybody, for joining us. For people who are new to the show, this is the Union of the Unwanted. It's when we just bring a lot of interesting people together to spark some interesting conversations. And uh, and that's what we're doing today. Today we have a great mixture of people, different backgrounds, different researchers. And uh, I think it's going to be a fun... Sexuality. <laughs> also sexuality. And uh, so I think it's going to be a fun, fun conversation. So, um, so people... Who, uh, well, some, let's introduce some of the new, new people. I know uh, one thing that we've been talking a little bit uh, about, um, I think in our personal lives, maybe on our shows, is some of the Armenian conflicts and stuff like that that's going on. And I know we haven't talked much geopolitics on the, this show in a while. And I think now is a great time to have Scott joining us because I think he can fill us in. So uh, maybe we'll open up the discussion with that. Maybe we'll t- we'll see if uh you know if Scott has a opinion well, or real quick, real quick before yeah, yeah. before we start, why don't you introduce the people who like this is their first time being on the show? Uh, yeah, we'll show in their name. So we'll go to. Well, I don't know what happened to Chris. Did Chris? Did I scare him with my technical difficulties? Probably. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to get a hold of Chris and get him to join What's us. What's up, J- Jason? How are you? But uh, but yeah, we'll we'll get uh Scott. If you want to introduce yourself, Alex. And uh, who else hasn't been here? Oh, Greg hasn't been on one of these shows before. And uh, yeah, if everybody wanted to just give a, a brief background so people can kind of know who you are and some of your work, and, and we'll go from there. Scott, you want to go first? Well, Scott. I'm from antiwar.com, and I wrote a book about Afghanistan. And Scott I do a show, uh, interview show. Alex, you want to go next? Sure. Have you been on the uh, show before? I've-, uh, I've been I've been with Ricky, never never in the crowd um so i'm uh, i'm uh, originally croatian living in monaco a former hedge fund manager uh author blogger like that that's about it greg okay my name is greg palace and you can tell from the hat that i'm an investigative reporter <laughs> uh, which uh most of my reports over the past uh, 20 years uh centering a lot of it centering on vote suppression as they call it and um mostly for the Guardian, Rolling Stone, um, Nation, and um, and now, and I've written a bunch of uh, best-selling uh, books, including my latest, which is How Trump Stole 2020. We also have a book, out, a movie out, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, and, and um, we just put out a one-minute PSA, which I would encourage everyone to watch. It's hosted at Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, uh, Instagram site, but you can also pick it up through gregpalace.com. Ricky, since and, and by the way, one 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 added thing, since you were talking about, maybe we'll mention uh, Azerbaijan and Armenia and their conflict. Like, let's bring up some substance once in a while in these shows. It's not all Trump, 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 Trump. 
I was in Azerbaijan uh, for BBC television and Channel 4 news. And so I'm happy to talk about that, too. Yeah. Well, Alex, do you want to tell people the name of your book, too? Because I know you said you kind of glossed over it, but, uh, you know, you're kind of an expert in that field. That something we haven't really talked a lot about. Um, yeah, I wrote the book originally called The Killing of William Browder, which was promptly banned by Amazon at the request of the um, State Department's Jonathan Weiner, who was the advisor to John Kerry under Obama administration. It was republished by the Red Pill Press uh, with a change title in case anybody got offended by the word killing. Uh, so it was uh, now it's called Grand Deception, but it got banned again. So now it's only available at the site of uh, Red Pill Press. And uh, there's there's a couple more books uh, sloshing around in my head. They're going to come out, but I've been, <laughs> I've been busy. Yeah, and you also know quite a bit about economies and, and whatnot. So that's something I think maybe we could probably discuss today, too, because I think uh, a lot of people... Sure, yeah. I, I, I Honestly, I put the last 20 years of my life trying to figure it out, how the whole damn thing works. I think I've pretty much come full side, full full circle, but I, I had to unlearn everything they taught me in university, you know. And so, yeah, I think that's a hugely interesting subject. Um, not, not the funnest thing, you know, not the funnest thing to uh, to immerse yourself from, immerse yourself in. But I think uh, hugely important because we're going to have to be making very very important decision going forward unless we want to passively acquiesce with what they have in store for us which i don't think anybody uh, really does to the extent that they understand what's going on yeah absolutely so uh, if uh I, scott greg if you guys want to talk a little bit i know uh sam's probably very interested because i know he just did a great podcast on it him with uh Coming from that country, being Armenian, I'm sure he's very curious on, you know, people's take on what's going on there. Uh, well, let me, Ricky, I'll just give a very general uh, overview and I'll let Greg, I know he knows all about the oil politics of the Caspian Basin and all of that. But essentially, the reason that there's a conflict is because you have a situation like having West Berlin inside East Germany in the old days. In this case, you have this region, Nagorno-Karabakh, which is... Armenian territory, which is wholly inside Azerbaijan. And they actually, and it's ruled by Armenia. And they actually control some, you know, surrounding uh, counties or whatever territories there that are actually really um, Azerbaijani majority districts that they also rule. So this is a long standing conflict there. And interestingly, there's actually a part of Azerbaijan that's on the far side of Armenia there. So you could, you would think that they could do a swap with easements and stuff and work this out, but ancient hatreds and all of that. And so what's happened recently then is Azerbaijan has decided to try to kick the Armenians out of there, which has led to war. And then of course the Turks are backing Azerbaijan. And I think the Russians have been traditionally backing both sides there. I don't know if anybody is uh, truly taking Armenia's side over Azerbaijan. I know the Israelis are selling Azerbaijan. Um, you know, they, they have a tight relationship with Azerbaijan. They have for a long time. And they're selling them cluster bombs and other things for use in the war. So and they had a ceasefire, but it's not holding. They're still fighting. That's the top headline on antiwar.com today. So 
as far as what difference does it make to us and, you know, American corruption in the Caspian Basin and all of that, then I would certainly turn that over to Greg. And, and I can't wait to hear from Alex about his Browder book and, wow. and all of that, because that's a really compelling story. And I'd really like to hear that later, hopefully. Okay. Well, uh, I've been spending all my time, as you can imagine, when you write a book called How Trump Stole 2020, you tend to be talking a lot about elections. I just got off NBC. Uh, but uh, so I'm actually happy to remind people that there's something else happening in this world, which is, of course, affected by the election. OK, I was I, I haven't been in Azerbaijan in, in 10 years, but I've continued to, to follow as investigating for uh, British television. Uh, Azerbaijan is uh, on the Caspian Sea. It's a it's an oilocracy. I call it in fact, I call it the Islamic Republic of of BP. Uh, BP controls. In fact, when I was arrested and by the way, when I was reporting, um, it, here, here's the, the reason I was there is that when the Deepwater Horizon uh, exploded 10 years ago, April, um, the oil companies, Chevron and Exxon and, and British Petroleum, of course, said, oh, this is a shock, it's a surprise. We didn't know that, that, that a Deepwater uh, rig could, uh, could blow out and blow up like that. Well, um, when they testified in Congress that they had no problems with Deepwater uh, drilling, in fact, nine months before the Deepwater Horizon blew up, they testified. In fact, 17 months before the Deepwater Horizon blew up, uh, a British petroleum deepwater well off the coast of uh, Baku, in the capital of Azerbaijan, uh, had this almost identical blowout for the identical reasons, and they covered it up. It was a well operated by uh, British Petroleum and uh, co-owned with uh, Chevron and Exxon. So they knew what was going on. At first, they didn't, by the way. Here's the interesting story is that, and, um, and I want to thank um, 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 Private Manning, uh, who is now, I hope he's out of jail by now, again, um, for releasing the WikiLeaks documents. Because what we found out in the WikiLeaks documents is that the Bush administration uh, hauled in BP, the U.S. ambassador, uh, working under Condoleezza Rice and said, what the hell is going on? Chevron and Exxon are screaming that they're not getting their royalties. And the answer is British Petroleum said, well, because we don't want anyone to know that we had a blowout. And we lost our biggest uh, rigs out there. They blew out. And we don't, you know, we don't want to shout that around. Now, you have to understand, international law and U.S. law requires the complete reporting of any such blowout. So they covered it all up. That was, and Condoleezza Rice was Secretary of State. And remember, Chevron had a tanker called the Condoleezza. So this is oil politics. And so the U.S., well, despite we have a very large Armenian population in the U.S., when the way politics runs in America, that would usually mean a pro-Armenian position. But Armenia is lacking in the juice. It doesn't have the oil that Azerbaijan has. So you have people like Henry Kissinger and others who are big backers of the Azeris. With the collapse of oil prices, the corrupt dictatorship of Azerbaijan uh, the corrupt, brutal, murderous dictatorship of Azerbaijan has clearly done the old trick of like, well, uh, we're now very unpopular. It's a deeply impoverished nation. People there would talk about the wonderful days of freedom and prosperity when they were part of the Soviet Union. You have to go to Azerbaijan. They've gone from having trucks to donkey carts. And now it's gotten worse with the collapse of oil prices. Collapse of oil prices, of course, motivates the, uh, the uh, government of uh, a guy I call Baby Baba. Um, everyone calls him Baba. Um, 
the dictator. So of course, uh, the the uh, when you're unpopular, the quickest thing to do is launch a war against your um, ethnic adversaries in Azerbaijan. Yes, the way that Stalin cut up Azerbaijan and Armenia, he mixed the territories for just this purpose. You know, it's the divide and conquer. You didn't want to have a, a you know an Armenia that was made up of Armenians and a Azerbaijan made up of Azeris because that will lead to what it ultimately did, the collapse of the Soviet Union. So we have this fossil map created by, by actually it was by uh, Khrushchev and uh, Stalin. And uh, now a war because you have an oilocracy which can't maintain power unless they whip up uh, some, um, a war. And of course the Azeris are, in, they have a, because they have this incompetent dictatorship, if they do go to war, if the war really does break out, they're going to get their ass kicked. There you go. Look it up. Go to gregpals.com. Just type in Azerbaijan or Deepwater Horizon. Which side did you say was going to get their ass kicked? Oh, the Azeris are going to be destroyed if they continue. Because while they are backed by Turkey, um, that, you know, that's not, going to, that's not going to help them. Because as any, you said, hmm? Is there any chance of this being somewhat of a proxy war as well with uh, Turkey um, and maybe, uh, uh, cause I think Turkey, you know, being the, uh, the Ottoman empire, there's a part of me that thinks they want back into the game more and, you know, they want to weaken Russia's, uh, you know, kind of control over Armenia and they'd love to get it mixed up again. Do you think that plays anything into it? Ab- absolutely. We have a proxy war diplomat. It's kind of a hot diplomatic uh, proxy going on between, um, Erdogan who has in fact quoted uh, Ataturk, who said that uh, Azerbaijan is the heart of the Turkish nation. So, you know, in other words, they're basically claiming that this greater Turkey, and they're not trying to incorporate it into the physical Turkey. They're not doing that, but they're saying that we are Turkic people. They're Turkic speaking people in uh, the Azeris. And of course they are in, there's great deal of tension with Russia. Um, you know, which goes back to uh, differences over Syria and the Kurds, et cetera. So, yes, so there's this, unfortunately, you have Azeris and Armenians killing each other uh, for someone else's benefit. That's not unusual. I would note that it was um, Thomas Friedman said, you know, capitalism will solve all these problems because no two nations uh, have ever gone to war that have McDonald's. Uh, but I can tell you, having looked at the at the throwaway cups, that a lot of the of the uh, Azeri soldiers who dropped, who were gunned down and Armenian soldiers and civilians who were killed, um, you know, had jobs where they had to say, do you want fries with that? So no, capitalism will not lead to peace in the, in the Caspian. Greg, just cause we only have you for such a short amount of time. You mentioned WikiLeaks, you mentioned uh, Manning, I kind of, and you mentioned Syria, all very relevant in, in this sphere. What are your thoughts on the current illegal extradition of Assange and the utter silence by the mainstream media? Well, you know, Assange and I just uh, together received the award as uh, International Reporters of the Year by the Mexican Association of Journalists. So uh, my fellow award winner, and I'm grateful for the work he has done. I don't have to look. It's not about one thing I want people to remember. It's not about Assange. It's about a journalist who is being who is facing life in prison in a dungeon because he reported the truth. That's the job of a journalist. And 
I use the WikiLeaks documents. So why was Manning in jail and not Greg Palast? Why wasn't, um, you know, the New York Times reporters and the Washington Post reporters and, and my fellows at The Guardian? Well, actually, at The Guardian, we did face um, we did face arrest. They made us smash up our machines and they did try to arrest us. But um, yeah, so the, the, you know, what Assange was doing was simply trying to communicate the truth. It's not about whether you like Julian Assange or agree with his positions or how he operates. It doesn't matter. That's not the issue. That's all distraction from a direct, a direct targeted attack on the First Amendment. That's what's going on with Assange. And let's let's get, let's cut out all the crap about Assange and, and the particulars. It doesn't matter. We're talking about the arrest. There's only one reason why he's facing, uh, you know, a, time, a lifetime in a dungeon for telling us the truth as a journalist. And unfortunately, for those that don't know, uh, Vanessa Bealey is now going to be under attack by the BBC in a special series. Uh, I'm going to be talking about it tomorrow, but they're trying to pull the same thing with her. She may come up on charges. So uh, the BBC actually emailed her yesterday. She's pretty frantic about it. And this shows this is about journalism. And they are trying to criminalize people sharing classified documents. The counterintelligence 2020 to 22 uh, documentation that's out there says leaktivists, hacktivists, and public disclosure organizations are on the same level as ISIS, Hezbollah, and other terrorist organizations, including Al-Qaeda. How do we turn it around, Greg? You've been in this game 20 plus 30 years now? Well, remember, I was a reporter for BBC television for the uh, their main uh, investigative show, Newsnight, and also an investigative reporter for The Guardian. And while I have, well, I have to say that the quality of, of news that's reported by BBC and The Guardian is of a level that we would only, we could only dream of in the United States. There is still, even among my fellows there, a long cultural history of fear of the First Amendment. They don't have a First Amendment in Britain. The mother country does not have freedom of the press. If anything else, there's extra restrictions on journalists than on, on, uh, on the average uh, citizen. There is really no respect for the idea that uh, of of um, releasing information in the public interest. I actually had fights with BBC and uh, my Guardian editors over this question. I said, "Why do we? Why do you want the government to tell you, as my editor, you as my producer, what you can put on or put off?" And so it's very difficult because you do have this culture where they really do believe that there are state secrets that must be kept. And I find that almost every state secret is not really a secret from our so-called enemies. I mean, let's face it. If, if, um, you know, if, if Ed Snowden could get all these documents, do you think that Putin doesn't already have them? In fact, Snowden at one point was kind of offering, hinting that he would give Putin the documents if he could get asylum in Russia. And Putin says, I don't need them. You know, it, it's a joke that secrets are kept from us. Just like, remember, I just told you about the Deepwater Horizon where our State Department lied to us, hiding the fact that, that BP's Deepwater Well in Azerbaijan blew up so that they were allowed to get a permit, by the way, over the objection of the Department of Interior, because they said, oh, we've never had a problem. So who were they lying to? They weren't lying. Were they lying to the Russians? Were they lying to the Chinese? No, they were lying to the American people. This is what was exposed in WikiLeaks documents. This is what's important to understand. It's a lies told to us. These are not secrets. They're lies 
that they try to cover up. And that's what Assange was going after. And unfortunately, again, while I was, you know, I couldn't do that report in the United States about the lies by Chevron and Exxon and BP. They did allow me to put that on the air. Prime time in Britain, prime time in all over Europe. But I couldn't report that in the U.S. On the other hand, there's still this discomfort, even among journalists in Europe and Britain, about maintaining, becoming part of the state secrecy apparatus. There is too much of a temptation to go along with it. Hey, what's this about Snowden offering secrets to Putin? That's bullshit. What are you talking about? Well, I was saying that there was a hint of that he could do that, but Putin didn't, you know, obviously they didn't care about it. Oh. The way to, you know, wasn't this was not from Snowden. This is from the organization. So but there was no way. So one of the problems we do have, again, is that it's about keeping secrets from us, not keeping secrets from enemies. <laughs> uh, if no one else is going to jump in, Greg, I got one more big question. What are your thoughts on this election and mail-in voting? Because I know, you know, I remember the best democracy money could buy. I remember you talking about 2004 and 2008 and all these different things, Bev Harris, the rest of it. Where are we today in 2020? And what do you expect with this election and all these mail-in ballots? The book is called How Trump Stole 2020. It's not a prediction. It's a warning. If Trump wins because the voters chose him, that's fine. That's democracy. But if he's chosen by Jim Crow trickery and what we've been finding throughout the book and what I just issued a report for the ACLU and another report for Black Voters Matter going through the purge list. You know, we've removed 16.7 million people from the voter rolls in the last two years. Now, it's true. Some people die. Some people move. But our name by name analysis and when I say name by name, working with the post office, eBay, Amazon, the rest of the experts on addresses, we've found that. About half, a little more than half of the people who've been wiped out from the voter rolls the past two years, they're not going to be able to vote because they don't know that they've been wiped out. Uh, More than half were illegally removed, and more than half of those are voters of color or young people. Wisconsin, uh, and we took this information, for example, in Georgia, you see those massive long lines, eight-hour waits today, eight-hour waits in line for early voting, and yesterday, eight hours in line. Why? People asked for mail-in ballots. They couldn't get them because 340,000 people were illegally removed from the voter rolls of Georgia. So they didn't get their mail-in ballots. They didn't know why. So they had to wait in line to go get a ballot. They won't get one, by the way. They won't get one because they're not registered. They'll get maybe a provisional ballot. And 925,000 provisional ballots were disqualified, just short of a million, in uh, 2016. It'll be worse this year. Uh, with mail-in voting, we can end up with a true disaster. About one in 20, according to MIT, 22% of mail-in ballots are never counted. So while no, there's not fraud, we're not going to get 100,000 ballots from Venezuela. That doesn't happen. In fact, I just looked, you're 520% more likely to be hit and killed by lightning than commit voter fraud. So that doesn't happen. But voters who do mail-in ballots are defrauded by the government officials and by the partisan officials who are so-called poll watchers. We have an insane system in the United States that says that any nutcase and a, a boogaloo boy in a Hawaiian shirt can challenge someone's signature on a ballot and it gets thrown out. And, and by the way, just uh, I'm sure that some of you will bring up the point. Yes, it's true. 
that not everyone, that not all the vote thieves and perjurers and people who challenge ballots en masse are Republicans. The Democrats disqualified 24,000 ballots in the Carol Maloney uh, Patel primary. The Justice Democrat had won, but then they threw out um, um, more than 12,000 ballots and flipped the election back to the uh, to the party backed uh, Democrat. So unfortunately, Democrats play this game too. But this time in this election, in the general, they're going to pay the price when the other side does, plays the same game, except on a scale that the Democrats can't even imagine and are absolutely not prepared for. When do we have a president, Greg? December 15th. That's your guess, huh? 14th, when the Electoral College meets. Here's what I'm concerned with. And, you know, uh, here's the dark fantasy. We saw the the Brooks Brothers riot in 2000 where Roger Stone, you know, got a whole bunch of uh, Republican consultants to to cause kind of a a mini riot at the at the Dade, Miami Dade County clerk's office where they're counting ballots. Now imagine Boogaloo Boys and Proud Boys smashing up buildings where they're counting ballots. Roger Stone, who is the uh, key advisor to the Proud Boys, he issues a tweet saying there's 100,000 ballots have been mailed in from uh, Venezuela and they're sitting in the Tallahassee main post office. How many minutes before that post office is burnt down? How many counting uh, how many uh, uh, clerk's offices will be smashed, destroyed, attacked, burnt? I'm not worried about voter intimidation. I'm worried about intimidation that stops the count of the vote. And therefore, states like Florida, Wisconsin, Michigan will not be able to certify their votes in time. Florida has to certify its electors by November 11th. That's eight days to count what may be six million mail-in ballots a million of which are absolutely going to be challenged. I don't see how they get those ballots counted. And therefore, there's a very good chance that Florida simply will not certify its vote. Remember, you have to certify in time for those guys, the electors, to get on horseback and make it to Washington, D.C. This was, remember, this, this is the, you know, from the Constitution. So, um, so um, you know, we could have uh, a lack of, we might not have 270 votes for any candidate in the electoral college, it goes to the house, one state, one vote, and Trump gets elected. I don't have a problem if Trump gets elected again by the voters. I do have a problem if he gets elected by violence, which may be the outcome. I have a question. Do you think there's any chance that it goes beyond that and we have some kind of weird uh, contestion somewhere in January by either party? Absolutely. I think that this is going to be fought even after the electoral college, if the electoral college meets and there's a clear winner, I think it's over. If there is a challenge, it's going to go obviously to the Supreme Court. We have the 1887 Electoral Count Act, which the then the court will rule on not just the Constitution, but the but the Electoral Count Act. And no one knows what the hell that thing means because no one's ever used it. That it goes back to the Twelfth Amendment, and we've never had a Twelfth Amendment election. What, what is your thoughts on, you know, the people that are not voting because we're reaching such high levels? I'm here in Canada and I, I'm from Norway, but mm-hmm. we're having like election numbers, people that are actually caring about voting being, you know, 30 percent of the voting population. You know, what about the silent majority of people that 
nobody's talking about that, you know, giving up. Oh, we actually have a gigantic turnout happening this year. Like, no, like, uh, I think this is going to set every record. The problem is, will people be able to vote? You're going to have eight hour lines. You've got 22% of mail-in ballots are not counted. By the way, half of them because the, the ballots don't get to the voter in time. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a mess. But most people overwhelmingly do vote. Just so you know, we're, we're running about 85% of registered voters vote. So the, the non-vote is not as big as people think. Those numbers usually come from um, adult, uh, the uh, uh, adult age citizen population. In other words, the total number of people who could register and vote. But it's actually quite, it's gotten, it's getting quite high in, again in the U.S. So we don't have a lot of walkaways and we won't have, as we did in 16, uh, there's the third party vote is collapsing and uh, the non-vote is dis- is diminishing to a fair well. Hey, uh, Greg, let me ask you this, not to take Trump's side in this thing, because I'm surely not, but there's so much hype from the Democrat side about how uh, the Republicans are sure to steal it and how Trump's going to call out the Proud Boy militias and all of these things. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, you have Hillary Clinton saying Biden should not accept defeat no matter what, or he should not concede no matter what. And you have um, Rosa Brooks uh, from uh, Georgetown University uh, held these war games with Bill Crystal as uh, Donald Trump and all these things. And the way that they said it in, in her in her report for uh, the Washington Post about her own thing, she said, in any circumstance other than a Biden landslide victory on election night, that the Democrats would fight and fight and fight and do everything they could to refuse to accept defeat on all of this. And so I wonder whether you think that you know, you mentioned about how, yeah, they, you know, the, the liberals rigged the primaries against the progressives and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. are you worried about, you know, Biden or the Democratic Party refusing to concede if? No, I'm worried about, no, I'm, I'm actually and what about, about Antifa, too. I'd like to throw yeah. that into that. What about Antifa and their role in intimidation and stuff like that? Well, number one, I don't think anyone's going to be intimidating anyone. Um, I don't see that happening. Because uh, I can tell you that if, if the Proud Boys or these Boogaloo uh, schmucks uh, decide to harass black voters in line, I've been I waited five hours in line with souls to the polls, African-Americans in Dayton, Ohio. I can tell you if a Proud Boy comes up and starts harassing people, where's your ID, something like that. They're going to find that they'll find that uh, that uh, kid in little wet pieces, you know, stashed around the the uh, the, the, the lines. Um, I'm not worried about intimidation i'm not worried about intimidation from antifa you think antifa is going to go to the suburbs of lansing michigan and start or, or burning yeah. down what the you know scenario you said the proud boys were going to do with the burning down the ballots let's I mean, say from, from, oh that's but no no i'm not guessing first of all these remember they just arrested a bunch of people for trying to kidnap the the uh, <laughs> the governor of michigan wait just a second job. just a second go to gregpalace.com and i want you to look at the photos by zach d roberts Zachary Roberts works for the Palestine Investigative Fund. He's been assigned in the past two and a half years to travel with the Proud Boys and the other far right groups around the country. Take a look at the photos he had. By the way, he's also the guy, when you talk about photos, he's the guy who took the picture of DeAndre Harris as he's being beaten nearly to death by rods and, and wooden boards, nearly beaten to death in Charlottesville. That was uh, by my team. We took those pictures. Zach had actually a gun in his face when he was taking that photo because they want to stop him from taking the photo. He says, go ahead and shoot. 
I've got the camera on. And so I've never, I've never yet. <laughs> I mean, you have to understand, I've never yet seen. I mean, if if and I haven't seen that, you know, tiki torch carrying Antifa people. Yeah, there was a one nutcase, and and I have no doubt that there will be violence from both sides. But there's one side, and you can't just say it's all even. It's not. Uh, almost all the vote suppression is coming from the Republican Party in the general. Almost all of it came from the Democrats in the primary. So you have to understand these distinctions. And right now, there's no question that the right wing is planning mayhem. It's an absolute fact. They're ready for it. And they're going to try to stop the vote count, not physical violence against people. I'm talking about violence against property and buildings and counting centers to stop the vote count. But, but Greg, I, I would argue with you that e- either side of that Antifa or Proud Boys is probably be more post-election uh, yes. contest, con- contesting it. And not so much on, I don't think there's going to be much problems uh, at voting places, at polling areas, as you What about think. 2000? What about 2000 when, when, um, when Roger Stone, who now he's got control of the Proud Boys, then he had just consultants and they stopped the count in Miami Dade. That's how George Bush is one of the reasons he became president. I, I, I'm more of the the belief that afterwards is where we're going to see the real chaos because we're not going to have a winner on November 3rd, no matter what. That's oh, we're definitely not going to have. Well, we're not going to count. Most of the ballots will not be counted by November 3rd. The question is, will they be counted by December 14th? Will they be counted by the days when uh, the states have to certify? It's the 11th in November 11th in Florida. Most states are November 30th. Um, and I don't know how they're going to be able to count all these mail-in ballots. I think it's insane. The, the- Can I ask you a question? Yes. I'm curious. So you don't think that the um, the military, the Pentagon, the State Department, or an alliance of uh, countries that they they have any they're just completely ignorant, not involved in this entire you know uh, uh, this entire scenario that you're putting forward. And what he's talking about is the integrity um, transition project, which is a bunch of people who basically. You know, uh, as I see them, are giant globalists that are being run by the UN. But I mean, you don't think the military knows what you know? I mean, do you, I don't understand. I don't understand how you're so sure that it's the right. As you saw, Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI. Yeah, but you're only bringing up guys that are on the same side as you. Well, I mean, you know, military. Whoa, whoa, whoa! What side am I on? What side am I on? I'm on the side of the voters getting their votes counted. I'm the guy that exposed the Democrats for stealing. Several elections. So which side am I on? Don't don't assume I'm on a side. But I am going to call out violence when I see it. Well, it's happening all. I mean, from up here in Canada, all we're seeing is violence from Antifa and and other groups right now that aren't. It's just getting swept under the rug. So how is that not intimidating right now? They're burning stuff down. They're they're attacking people. I mean, how is that not? And they're just getting let out of let out of jail. I mean, there's a bunch of DAs there that are just letting people out. That's from what I see from up here. Okay, well, that's what you see from up well, there. Yeah, but our guy, our guy isn't looking from Canada. Our guy is with, right inside those protests. And by the way, on both sides, he's also covering Antifa. He's like covering you said, it's hard to get locked down in the Hollywood Hills. Some of us are locked down in the middle of cities okay. that have. I'm not okay. I just said order. my cameraman Zach D. Roberts, who is, who just actually go to GregPals.com. You see the report he just wrote uh, from. Uh, um, from the uh, latest protests, he was he's followed these guys all over the country. He's embedded with them, uh, photoing, including them nearly murdering a school, te- a black school teacher. 
So I haven't seen Antifa try to murder a black school teacher yet, but um, it could be. But I don't know. I'm not I'm not a friend of Antifa, just so you know. No. I just I think that that, you know, anyone who's throwing rocks and and, you know, all this crap, I think it, that's in, I think it's insane for any side to be involved in violence. And they you know, if you're involved in violence, you should be locked up and the key thrown away if you're trying to stop an election. That's a that's not only a crime of violence, but it's a crime against. Uh, which is against federal law. And so I, I guess I just have one question. I, and so, I don't think you're right. And I got to go in a minute. So I'll answer your question. Go right Thank ahead. Thank you so much. Because again, I followed you for 18 plus years. When they yeah. talk about these war games and you have William Crystal, for instance, playing Trump, but on the other end, John Podesta playing Joe Biden, doesn't there seem to be kind of like this bipartisan effort, love him or hate him, to get Trump out from the old school neocons to the new school neoliberals? Oh, yeah. Well, of course. Well, that's called democracy. You don't like it? <laughs> they don't like. OK, look, I would love to see John Podesta play Joe Biden. That's got to be a hoot. That's got to be better than Saturday it happened. Night it happened. Well, uh, no, no, I'm sure it, it did. Uh, I'm just saying is that that's fun. That's fun and games. And that's that's democracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not worried about people arguing their case, voting their case, even people shouting and screaming. That's fine with me, too. That's called protest. Uh, but what I'm against is what I'm very concerned about is officials removing the rights of voters, especially black people, Hispanics and Asian Americans, and taking away their right to vote. And again, I, it's Democrats in the primaries, Republicans in the general. I mean, it's a rule of thumb. I'm not going to tell you that that's 100 percent in every case, in every instance. But we're seeing it en masse. It's ugly. And we we're basically having a racial election in America, and it is an ugly and awful thing. Can I? So I'm going to have to go. You, you can okay. come and uh, comment at my site. I'd love to see you. Send me a note, and uh, get on my uh, Greg underscore Palast at hey, the Twitter, Greg. and Greg Palast investigates is my Facebook, and GregPalast.com. So let's have a conversation. Let's mix hey, it up. Greg, th- thank you so much for being with me. Do you have You're time? Very for just welcome. M- you guys are great. Thank for- you. Th- thanks, Greg. That was great. I still want to hear Monica's question. Yeah, no, I, 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 I wanted... just wanted to. I just wanted to ask if he is actually okay with democracy if Trump wins and what he thinks Trump is really all about. Because well, he he I mean, is Hitler okay. Hitler won a vote, didn't he? He did say that. He did he say, did say, say if Trump wins, that's fine. And he said. But, it, I mean, he I said it on my show it. also. He said it. I mean, when when he was on my show, I know he gets. I mean, let's be honest. We all can be accused of being a little bit leaning one way or another. I mean, cause we are, I mean, we have opinions. We, we look at the information, we come to a conclusion on which side, I guess, makes the most or is making the best points or whatnot. Um, Greg, you know, he, he said on my show, he's like, listen, if, if Trump wins and he's obviously not a Trump supporter, but he's like, if Trump wins and he's like, and does it, you know, without cheating or what? I mean, but that's that's but such why a blurry. Why is that okay? Why is that okay? The what? What the what? People who don't like Trump. I mean, I don't like Trump because I think he's a fraud. I love Mel, and I know her opinion is different, but I don't <laughs> like him for uh, one reason. But most people who don't like him think he is the second coming of Hitler, and yeah. I just don't understand. Doesn't that invalidate democracy? But I mean, didn't that happen it? too with They're Obama? They're trying to get it to there invalidate was... the electoral college, but I think that what they really need to admit is that it invalidates the system and democracy, which is why a lot of the people on the left, and he's saying the right, and that's okay too, but the people on the left 
are saying that, look, this process is not working. The democratic process is not working. So we have to take over. We have to get violent because it's the outcome that matters and not the process. So I just thought he'd be an interesting person to explore that because he seems like he's still dedicated to the process. Yeah, I think most of us on this call probably agree that the whole process is rigged. You know, it's like, it doesn't matter who you get, who who you catch cheating. Like they're all doing things that are questionable and, and they're going to do everything in their power to try to win votes. So it's like, okay, even if you catch one side, it doesn't mean the other side's like playing by all the rules or the made That's up rules. That's my opinion. That's my biggest problem with the pr- presentation you just did was it was, it was definitely thought the, the, the whole pitch was this side's doing better. I'm like, both sides are doing it. You're delusional to think it's only one side. And this is on why other, it's gotten so bad. On the other hand, though, you know, I don't think Greg was ever one to think that Donald Trump was Hitler. I mean, he's not a fool. He's the kind of guy who hated Obama and Hillary Clinton both and, you know, covered Hillary's corruption in Pakistan and God knows what shit that no one else in the world was on. And I think, you know, he was good on Russiagate all along. This is a bunch of bullshit. Just because, you know what I mean? Like all this anti-Trump yeah. hysteria. You know, right. I don't think he, I think Greg's he's a, a great journalist guy I'm, than that. I'm thankful that he was on, but it just seemed like he he only saw once he was pushing that once. And my yeah. whole opinion is both of these sides are going to be getting super nasty. Well, and, and you know, are, he really he really has for like 20 years or something. His single issue is vote suppression. If, it, if there's one single issue, you know, there's a few others, oil stuff and whatever, but. It, and and frankly, like it's just the Republicans who are better at it. And they they have these corporations where, you know, they get the contracts to go through and they just kick off anybody whose last name is Jackson or Johnson or anything that sounds black or, you know, this kind of thing. And they and it's an art form and they're fucking great at it. And he's been on their ass for it this whole time. So when it comes to who's suppressing whose votes, you heard him say like, oh, the centrist Democrats do this to the liberal, or, you know, to the progressives and the leftists in the primaries um, constantly. As he put the justice Democrat one, that's the leftist progressive. And then they basically went and stole it from him by kicking out a bunch of ballot. The liberals did in the primary to make sure that the, the Clintonite type one and that kind of. Thing. So he'll attack the Democrats for the same thing. But just in terms of like who's actually in the business of suppressing the vote. It's the Republicans because it's actually in their interest to do so. You know, the the fewer and the and the richer the voting pool skews, the better it is for the right. And the poorer and larger the number skews, the better it is for the Democrats. You know, typically speaking, I'm not saying they've earned that or anything, but I'm just saying that's how it goes. So, um, you know, they, according to him, they steal them all. I mean, according to him, the Republicans, you know, they haven't won an election outright, you know, fairly, even in the Electoral College or whatever in uh, since H.W. Bush, I guess, because See, I in every they, case they suppress so many votes to make the margin. We could go a little deeper on the two party psyop thing. And I would say because I think it is a psyop and I feel like that even if I've, I've read some stuff some statistical analysis that maybe Republicans really would never win and they have to be giving this boost because they are actually kind of a fraud in that they're not fiscal conservative, whatever. So they are kind of the ultimate controlled opposition and that everybody's kind of on board with them taking power once in a while so that this two party side, which is so valuable can march on. And then the second thing would be that they, they, 
they have for at least 20 years encouraged this idea that one of that the president is not legitimate from the hanging chat in 2000 to the Diebold voting machines in 2004, Obama's Kenyan birth, supposedly the um, Trump with the Russiagate. If Hillary had won, it would have been uh, illegal voters. If Cruz had won, it would have been that he was actually Canadian when he was born and not American, which was true. And they do this because it's the only way to get real conflict in a democratic republic, because that guy was saying, I'll take democracy and they'll and he'll step down for that. But but the reality is that if if that were true, then you couldn't get a lot of conflict going. So they have to say that the president is not a democratically legitimate person and they do it every single presidential cycle. Yeah, I mean, I, I just wanted to comment since he, uh, he yelled at me because I said that he was on his side. I mean, he said several things in a period of time being on DiCaprio's uh, platform. He's in the Hollywood Hills. It's not so bad. You know, he said a lot of stuff, the Boogaloo Boys and the Proud Boys. Like, does he know a Proud Boy? I know a couple. You know, I don't see them as violent, bad people. I see them as people who's, who've had enough. But there's been it's just it's really sad to me that 20 days before an election where it's between us and the U.N. and it doesn't really matter who the president is. It doesn't matter what side. We're all being played for fools. Every single one of us that's talking about the election or racism or bias or whose side is worse and whose side is better and who's going to cheat. This isn't about that. This is this is it makes me want to cry at this point. We're 20 weeks away and people still think this is about two men that don't matter. This is about a country that is, is like, you have to understand what's going on uh, where I am, but I know I've talked to people, you know, you guys in Portland and some other people in Philly. It's just like right now, the, the problem is that I don't think either of these men are, are the issue. The issue is that if we put our hands in the globalists, which I believe Kamala Harris has been in for 20 years in the pockets of Soros and the globalists, Biden clearly is not there. The 25th Amendment ploy is really, in my opinion, to set it up to kick butt, to get rid of Biden when she, when they when they think they win, so that they can put her there. But the true enemy, I mean, I feel like it should be all American people that value our freedom and our our lives and our families and all of this should be looking at what happened over the last six months and think why, who, what, what, what happened here and why? Because it was a, it was a crime against humanity against the people of all these countries. This is not about, I understand, I doubt, I have feelings there's not even going to be an election. I mean, I guess there will, it's too late, but like, I, I feel like people are missing the point that the UN plans to, to have, they want to come in. The New York Times even wrote an article, is it time to bring the UN in? The UN's whole goal is, is to one world government. Why don't people understand this? Do your own research. The Rockefeller Foundation laid this out 10 years ago perfectly, and they're all following it. Build Back Better is not a, it's not a good thing for humans. It's not a good thing for humanity or freedom. And I, that we're all squabbling over nothing when it's really the fact that there's people out there that want to cede our sovereignty to a world government actively winning. And, and we're sitting here talking about a man that's clearly not, not with us and a woman who's been in Soros's pocket for 25 years uh, against Trump. At least we know what he is. Yeah. Hey, Alex, well, I, do you want? Oh, you sorry. Know, I was going to yeah. go to Alex because uh, uh, I know yeah. it's late there and I don't want him passing out on us. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear about Browder. Can you tell us about your you wrote a whole book about uh, that fake ass scam of him and his whole thing there? 
Yeah, I did. I did. Um, um, do you, do you have any comments on on what we were just talking about? Just I guess before we move on to uh, to that big topic, do you do you have any comments on some of the things we we're just discussing? Well, yeah, but we could be here until tomorrow. You know, <laughs> Good point. Yeah, maybe we'll move on. <laughs> uh, let's say that from from my point of view, uh, Donald Trump is a much less scary choice than uh, Biden Harris ticket. But come on, know. man. <laughs> I ain't black. Oh, wait, I ain't white. <laughs> I ain't properly white. Um, so, no, going back to Browder, basically, what happened is that I, uh, I just, uh, by, by curious uh, sequence of coincidences, uh, came in contact with him and. Uh, on two occasions in 2005 and again in 2010 i heard his story i was uh, not terribly interested in the whole thing i went to in 2005 first time i ever saw bill browder i i just went there because i had nothing better to do i was literally invited i was invited to his presentation i didn't care at all about what he had to say because it was about investing in russia I was not particularly interested in Russia or investing there, but I went because uh, just, you know, it so happened I had nothing better to do. But then you know, I found the presentation very fascinating. It was the first time ever uh, that I heard anybody say anything positive about uh, Vladimir Putin. And the reason why this was interesting to me is because Bill Browder obviously had a very privileged vantage point. He was running a major hedge fund uh, investing in Russia based out of Moscow. So it was the largest foreign owned hedge fund in Russia at the time. So, you know, he knew a lot of stuff. He could uh, tell a lot of details. And so uh, basically what he was saying is that his company, his, his investment company, what they would do is they would invest into uh, shares of some Russian company, like a major like electricity grid or oil, some major oil company or something like this. And they said that the major thing that was dragging the share prices back was corruption. So what they would do then is they would investigate corruption and then they would publicize it in the, in the, in the Russian media, but also in, media like the Wall Street Journal and Financial Times and so forth. And he said that every time this happened, then uh, Vladimir Putin's government would come in and they would clean it up. They would just clean up the corruption. They would uh, change the people. They would change the laws to make the corruption uh, more difficult to, uh, to do and to get the corrupt people out of, the, out of, out of running these companies. And I was up until then. I was I was very much under the impression that uh, Vladimir Putin is the man of these oligarchs that they put him in power and that he was going to carry water for them. And from that point on, I kind of started paying attention to what was going on in Russia. And then fast forward five years, and uh, all of the things that happened to Browder happened, namely that his uh, quote-unquote lawyer got arrested in Russia and uh, died in prison under investigation. And this time, Bill Browder uh, was, so this was, this was in 2010, it was, a, it was an, another presentation that went along with some hedge fund conference. 
And this time he was saying exactly everything the opposite. Bill, um, Vladimir Putin was horrible. He was a, he was the Genghis Khan, uh, the most greediest uh, tyrant there ever was. And uh, nobody should ever invest a cent in Russia. Five years earlier, he was saying the opposite. And so, well, I still thought Bill Browder was a good guy, <laughs> but at this time. And then five years later, 2015, uh, my ex-wife gave me the book that Bill Browder uh, published called Red Notice. And it became a big bestseller on Amazon. It's got something like close to 6,000 five-star reviews. It's, it's crazy. And uh, she read it and she thought, wow, you have to read this. You'll see the, the things are very different, you know, and uh, you'll see Vladimir Putin is a bad guy and so forth. So I thought, okay, fine. I, I read the book, and the book is really well written. I became convinced that it was ghost written by Lee Child, and uh, the only problem was that I, by this time, I knew enough about the story that I thought something was not quite right. So then I had to read the book uh, one more time. So you know, on the second reading. Uh, I, I picked up a lot of things that were that you know like passed passed under my radar on the first on the first uh, read, and so I realized that the whole story was basically a fraud. The whole story uh, was a false one from start to finish. Obviously, you know there's some truth to it, but you know as as the Italians say, truth is the truth is the sugar that makes you swallow the lie. And so uh, one thing I realized by kind of analyzing what was in his book is that he is fronting for a large network of power, which is, by the way, the same people who are orchestrating the color revolution for your country and who are actually pushing for uh, World War III between, um, between the West and Russia, basically. And so I thought somebody has to unmask this person. Somebody has to unmask this network. And uh, then I realized kind of it's probably going to have to be me. So that's how I made the decision to uh, start writing the book. Initially, I just thought I'd just go through Bill Browder's Red Notice and point out all the nonsense, the bullshit, the inconsistencies, the, because there's a, lot of, there's a lot of it. You really have to suspend this belief to buy the story which is easy to do because it's it's written in a very clever way that it's almost like hollywood movies you know that when just before they're gonna throw uh mud in your face they give you some emotional story right so they they prime your emotion and then they tell you the lie and then it kind of goes below your bullshit radar, radar and you carry on reading the story and this, that, so, you know, it was, it's very, very clever how it's, how it's written. And so basically I started just going through the book in detail, exposing these, these, uh, these lies of which there are many. But as I researched some of them, I realized that the part of the book that is a, not the part of the book, but the part of the story that's a lot more interesting is the broader context. It brought me back to, um 200 years back uh brought me back to the u.s civil war 
and uh, I discovered things that I didn't know. I went to I went to school in the United States, right? I was a, I was there on the student exchange program when I was 17 in 1987. And then I stayed for another two year, years of college. And then I went to Switzerland to do another two years. To, so I completed my four years of university in American system. I studied US history, US politics, all of those things. I never heard ever once mentioned that Russia had any role in the US Civil War. Boom, there we go. Boom, that's it. That's yeah. what we're talking about right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and amazingly, you know, those things, those things carry forward to this day. That's relevant to everything that's going on today. And so basically what happened is that you had something called the British Empire. And the British Empire, as, as the logic of empire dictates, it can't have rivals. An empire cannot have rivals. So up until that point, the British Empire was controlling all the, all the major ports in the world, all the trade routes. And the problem was that the United States suddenly in a space of about 50 years had like a staggering rise in prosperity, development. And the people running the British Empire decided, well, you know, this could be our rival, so we better do something about this. So the, the decision was made to uh, partition the United States into two smaller, weaker, weaker client states. So they started playing the South against the, the North, arming the South, uh, antagonizing, you know, uh, orchestrating these, uh, these you know, uh, Armenia versus uh, Azerbaijan conflict, you know, because that's how the whole thing always works. You know, they can't control you militarily, so they always hit one side against the other, and they do this the world over nonstop. And they've done it in my country. I was, I was, I was born in Yugoslavia, and now I'm from, from Croatia because Yugoslavia fell apart because they pitted Croats against the Serbs and so forth. And so basically what happened is that as this thing took, took off, um, uh, in 1863, when it became apparent that uh, France and Britain might actually militarily intervene in the U.S. Civil War, uh, Russian Tsar Alexander II sent two fleets, one to New York and the Pacific Fleet to San Francisco, anchored them there for six months and prevented the Brits from partitioning the United States and creating two client regimes there. So that, I think, is a much more interesting context to the whole story than just Browder himself, who is just one, one deep state rat who has done bad things. But I think that the wheels have come off of his credibility already years ago. And so I think there's not much, there's not much more damage he can do um, well, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, he seems to still have quite a quite a lot of influence and was, you know, prominent in in pushing the Russia Gate hoax and telling everybody, believe me, I know this stuff is right and that kind of deal. And he's got, you know, a law passed that Magnitsky Act, named after his, as you put it, his quote unquote lawyer, who wasn't even really his lawyer, his accountant, who yeah. apparently died of natural causes in there. I wonder, was that what you found? Was that he wasn't even murdered at all, Magnitsky? Well, uh, he may have died of natural causes, but they were preventable natural causes. You know, it was a major cock-up. Medical neglect, is that it? Sorry? Medical neglect? 
yeah, medical neglect. But it's it's mm-hmm. it's a very mysterious thing because for Russia, he was a very very important man. He was the he was their crown witness, not only against Browder but but against HSBC, against this whole network that plundered Russia in the 1990s. Um, the fact that he died is if let's let's put it this way: had he died of lead poisoning. You know, a bullet to the head, or or hanging like like um, Jeffrey Epstein, or something like this. I would be convinced that somehow Bill Browder or the intelligence network that he represents had him killed. The fact that he died of Jesus, what was it like? His pancreas or something failed? I I forget. The fact that he died of uh, preventable natural causes tells me that either um, either they were superbly clever about how they killed him or the Russians just actually cocked up and let him die when they shouldn't have. I think I, I think Russia is a very interesting place. Like I used to work on the Russian-Norwegian border uh, for the U.S. for NATO doing intelligence on the Russians and uh, just watching it from uh, above, of course, and, and doing my research on Putin. Um, I have a lot of friends, you know, both on both sides. You know, there's people that are, you know, very pro-Putin. There's people that just, uh, the you know, on the other side, that spice him because they threw him out of the country, took their business and destroyed them. Uh, so there's, uh, you know, with, with Putin, he's a former KGB, all his friends, you know, are KGB guys. Uh, and so they created, you know, the control a- apparatus that they currently have uh, in Russia, but what's interesting with that is that it, you know um, Russia is quite free actually. It's uh, way more free than the U.S. Like they don't bother you a lot, like they do in many states or here in Canada, you know. Uh, but if you dare to step up, you know, and say anything against the great leader Putin, um, you you start to get in some severe trouble and might uh, suddenly die off or a dose problem. We actually currently have like I used to give NATO secret documents over uh, of all the na- naval positions of the NATO fleet over to uh, he was a border commissioner in Norway. What's interesting is like he was actually recently caught. You guys could look it up. His name is Frode Berg. Um, and he was actually caught in Russia with uh, Russian naval documents. So like he was actually a double agent in my point of view that you know we gave him all this information. He probably took it over to Russia, but they threw him under the bus and now he's in Jail and probably is going to rot there until he dies because it was caught, basically caught spying. But you know who knows if he actually handed over documents on the other side. But again, you know the the, the whole like imperial thing. You know all these empires that you know really want like Putin is more of a self interested guy. He he just wants to protect himself and and his good old buddies in some of the old uh, you know Russian like Belarus and. Uh, and in Ukraine, you know, uh, they got lots of, you know, interests with, you know, both ports and, and uh, natural resources and so on. Uh, so he wants to protect that. He wants to, you know, the, the big fight in the Middle East that we have right now, you know, trying to take over Syria so Saudi Arabia could build a competitive uh, oil and natural gas pipeline into Europe to then fight Russia on the other side. So you got lots of, you know, uh, on, on the top. But then uh, we were talking about the people behind. It's usually the banks, you know, the banksters that are behind everything, you know, funneling. Uh, the money and making everything possible, all these wars, you know, pitting everybody against each other. I think. And we lost them. And we lost them. Anybody want to jump in on, on any of that? What we did, I don't know where he went. We lost a few people, didn't we? Yeah. Well, Scott, I, I let people know. I mean, jump in, jump out whenever you want. You know, I know people have, uh, sometimes these go kind of long. Usually, at yeah, the end I thought of the... Scott was waving to say something, and then uh, then he vanished. 
Yeah. I think uh, I'll try to get a oh wait, people are <laughs> people are dropping. It's the NSA. They're listening. Maybe. <laughs> I got fiber over here, baby. I'm golden. Let's go. <laughs> well <laughs> Well, uh you know what John what John started saying, you know, like from for from from my point of view, uh you know I I kind of try to gauge Putin with his performance at his own job, which is not to satisfy our, you know, sense of de democratic uh, decorum, but how he has done by the ordinary Russians. And he has done spectacularly well by the ordinary Russians because he inherited one of the, if not the most corrupt nation in the world at the time. He cleaned it up and uh, the economic development that has ensued actually on over the over the same period outpaced the development of china so he has raised the standard of living for the ordinary russians tremendously and uh, that's what he was elected for and that's why he has overwhelming support and trust among the russian people who actually live under his rule um on on the subject of people getting killed if they have something bad to say about Putin, that doesn't check out very well either because you know most people don't understand who the opposition is in Russia. You know, like in the Western media, they serve us up these various Navalny's and uh, other minor figures. Navalny couldn't fill up two buses with his political supporters. He's a blogger. He uh, he has been effective at outing also some corruption in Russia. He has many enemies from from doing this job, but he's not credible uh, opposition to Putin at all. The opposition to Putin, Putin are the communists. And that's the only credible and real opposition to Vladimir Putin. I None was going them... to ask you about that because I wanted to, what I've heard just from people I've talked to is about this stuff in the military is that Putin actually has been very uh, helpful and interested in uh, exposing a lot of what happened with Uranium One that America doesn't even talk about. I mean, they act like it never happened. But um, from what I've heard, Putin has met with, uh, you know, that Putin and Trump really are at this point fighting the same enemy. As and, and a lot of people say that G is also that this a lot of this is a show and that a lot of the people that that we're looking at and people are pointing at they're playing kind of a part but that trump and 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 putin have a similar goal and the same enemy right now and when we call it the invisible enemy it's basically the same people you're talking about from russia and everything which is the you know i like to say that it's a it all goes back to the international bank of settlements but you know, to that same those bankers that that you know finance all this stuff that are so f above us all, you know. So in, in what I've been hearing is it's for multiple reasons, but that you know this this hunt for Red October concept, where it was like the whole 2016 thing and the Russia Gate was really to force us America into a war with Russia to benefit the international banking cabal, and that they both knew it. Is, is that do you see that when you look at that like politics from that angle well i yeah i think that you inevitably uh, converge on those conclusions exactly and i think that 
I, I also tend to agree with you that a lot of what we're observing now is a is a is a show, you know, because they can't play open cards, you know, like uh, Donald Trump can't play open open cards and and tell you what it's all about. Uh, Vladimir Putin can't either. Uh, neither can Xi, Xi Jinping. But I I think it seems to me from just observing, um, reading reading the situation between the lines. It seems to me that they have all understood who the enemy is, and the enemy is incredibly insidious because they they are capable of infiltrating a country, even if they get thrown out. Like you know, Andrew Jackson threw them out in 1832. Uh, they crawl right back in through through 10,000 channels and and take over. And so, you throw, if if Vladimir Putin threw them out of Russia, or at least put them in check, well, you know. They can wait him out because they work multi generational. So, right. Has people in America have... don't, I'm sorry to interrupt, but people in America don't know that he kicked out the Rothschild central bankers and they're not allowed to do business anymore in, in Russia as he did uh, the Gates Foundation. You know, I mean, I think that these, these, these world leaders that are all being pitted against each other in our different media really. I, I believe it happened in Japan at the G20. I, I'm not sure that whatever that meeting was in Japan about a year ago. But I think that all these guys decided like, okay, it's, it's all of our sovereignty and our, na- and our national, you know, culture and religion and, and language and history, or we're seeding. One of us falls, we all, these main people, they all fall. And I feel like unbeknownst and, and certainly not uh, welcomed by what I call the banking cabal, the an invisible enemy, um, they are fighting against them. It's like, it's, that's what I keep saying to people. I don't really think our election has any consequence if we're willing to lose our country over it, you know, because this isn't about Trump. And Trump is really, I feel like, like you're saying, people, don't, they don't report that Putin kicked out the cabal, the banking cabal here. I don't know why, but they don't. But thank you. Because I need, I wanted to hear that from somebody who actually knows. Great. Well, I think I think you know, like I think we're um, we have to we have to kind of connect connect the dots because it isn't served up. You know, a lot of this history and a lot of what's actually going on is being uh, deliberately concealed. You know, uh, but it, it seems to me by reading between the lines that um, I think that at least. People in U.S. administration who are loyal to Donald Trump understand the game and understand who the enemy is. And you can see that in a lot of, you know, like uh, the, the, the mainstream media won't serve this up. But if you listen carefully to uh, Donald Trump's speech at the World Economic Forum, his speech to the U.N., uh, certain of his statements, measures and so forth, it does seem that there's a there's a there's a little bit of method to the madness, but you know, like he can't come right out like John F. Kennedy did, attack them frontally, because he puts them all on notice. And the network is incredibly powerful because it's the banking cabal, it's the it's the large military industrial co- corporations who have the interest, it's the big pharma, it's the big media, and if he antagonizes them, takes them uh, head on, they will just close ranks and destroy him 
So he kind of has to choose his battles and then pick them. You know, like I think he managed to take over the FBI. And, but they're everywhere, you, you know, and um, right. it's a long, it's a long struggle. Right. And I think yeah. that inevitably he has to work with the Russians and the Chinese. He has right. to because right. they are all um, at the, they're all targets of the same cabal. I think the main point you mentioned is this invisible enemy is multi-generational. People cannot wrap their head around the long-term plans. You know, all they see is that we, we have a political thing that goes every four years and they can't even imagine that these cabals have generations of plans going on and on and on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's at least 200 years that they've, been, that, they've been, that, that they've given themselves the project of actually just taking the world over with the, with the franchise of, uh, with the central banking franchise. And uh, this, is, this is who we're dealing with, whether we're looking at the Nagorno-Karabakh and the Armenia, Armenia and Azerbaijan, whether we're looking at the COVID-19, whether we're looking at uh, US elections and Antifa and BLM and all of this stuff, George Soros, they're all their agents, they're all their agents. So I think that this is the main enemy, and uh, I think that they've been they've been uh, facing serious headwinds, you know, because I think that they've been uh, they've been definitely cultivating China as their new host, you know, because they've pretty much pretty much depleted the United States, you know, militarily and economically. They need a new host. They built up China because if you look at the trading abuse that China has been able to get away with. And, and in that sense, Donald Trump is right. You know, China has been able to do what no other nation would be allowed to do by, you know, um, uh, debasing their, their currency so they could outcompete everybody else. So suddenly all the manufacturing jobs moved to China. You know, you, you wouldn't be able to do this unless you got the cover from very high enough, meaning higher than, higher than uh, sovereign leaders and democratic uh, nation right and right. so they right. built up china to be their next host uh it seems that it isn't quite working out the way they thought so you know then maybe they need to force a change in china orchestrate a war against china or right. something <laughs> i'm not sure a lot of the aggression is is strange but i, I also i'm not positive that g is who we think he is because yeah. I had a lot of information about uh, what happened about a year ago in Japan. And I think all these guys feel like they were all played, like everyone was played. You know, there are two factions. People don't realize, it. I think America doesn't think like, like as globally as a lot of foreign countries maybe do. And it's a lot of people don't realize there's two factions also in China. There's the, the, the good people who want to help their, their people. And there's the deep state, or as we call them here or there, where you are. And it's all the same people. I, I've been telling people for so long, the Trilateral Commission, all these, this Council of Foreign Relations, the, the, all, the, all the think tanks, all them, um, Bill Gates, Eric Schmidt, these people have been investing in China for 20 years. Yeah. I keep telling people, look at the UN. I mean, the most important agencies at the UN are now run by Chinese nationals. And that's like, that's why I'm grateful that Putin has given Trump a lot. I, I feel like he's given Trump quite a bit of information on Uranium One. 
but uh, I think it's for the best of everyone. And we're seeing these rogue ships from China. Like, it's just, it's not making sense. It doesn't seem like, it seems like there's factions fighting against each other in China and because of their communists and we're not getting the news out that we're not seeing that. But to think that our election is about America at this point and not about like the free world as a whole is just very naive. And, and we're not getting that news here. That's why listening to you, I feel like, oh, thank God. And, like somebody's saying like what's obviously the truth, but people want to argue about, you know, who's the bigger racist or who's going to cheat in the election or who's going to seat office or war games. And I'm thinking it doesn't matter if we lose. I mean, clearly oh, they're going to cede our sovereignty if, Obama, if Biden and Harris win. And yeah. it's already done. They already are bought and paid for by China and Ukraine, and we know it. But America's fighting over nonsense and, and who's right and who's wrong and who's bad and who's good. And it's like, wake up. This is a planet. And we're all, it's either for all free people, we the people of the planet, or, you know, all of our countries are going to disappear and everyone's going to say what happened while we all sit in smart cities wondering hey nancy yeah. nancy d- d- let's go to nancy also eventually if uh if charlie and the Truthzilla crew want to jump in too because i know that uh you guys have been listening for a while yeah i think it's so fascinating i think that all of this is all distractions with what's going on but i do believe like the you know someone said to me today i really don't like the choices biden or trump but i do believe that trump is the least of our problems compared to if Biden wins because of his connection with China. I mean, lots of people have problems with Trump for some reason. Um, but I think that you really have to look at, is he the uh, least of the two evils? And I think he is just because he doesn't have that whole hunter issue and the Chinese thing. Um, but there's a bigger thing going on. And I've I'm totally amazed that people don't see the truth. And I wonder why, like, is it because they can't handle the truth? I mean, is it, I know that most people are educated no matter what. Um, so is it all these distractions? Is it the media? Why people, because they don't want to, but that's a problem because then we're all going to fall. Well, I I think that it's it's deliberately made very difficult. You know, the 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 United States has been very very heavily propagandized and manipulated for decades because it's the you know it's the leading power, and they don't want the democratic process to be in their way, right? So you know, like. They want resources. They go to Iraq, but they don't tell you we're going there for oil. Only only Trump told you that. He used to tell you that you're going there for oil. So it's you know like it's non. Alex, I, I we're losing you. I think. Uh, but it- I think he's right because Trump tells the truth. I mean, <laughs> people may not like that to hear that, but if I had to believe. Joe Biden or Trump, I'm going with Trump. He may be rough on the edges, but he's going to, he's going to tell, he'll, he's protecting us in so many ways. Like someone interviewed him and said, but who's your enemy? And he says, you wouldn't even know who my enemy is. Ah, interesting. (laughs) He said, they're people you've never heard of. 
That's yeah. what I said, and that's the truth. And but we've heard of them. Unfortunately, our country it doesn't. It's I don't know if it's apathy or it's it's not wanting to believe that everything that that they've been told is not true. But yeah, I mean, it it's what we're talking about. Truzil, you want you want to jump in on this? You know, one of the things I was just going to say is like, Alex, I really appreciate your perspective. You know, we're in quite a little echo chamber here over on the North American continent here. And like, uh, so um, what are your thoughts? Like just as of six, seven months ago, you know, it was all of a sudden this quickening of all these agendas that you talked about. Like, like what, what shifted, what changed, what made them like in their dark smoky room, like decide, okay, now's the time let's roll all this out. Um, I've got, I've got some thoughts, you know, but it's a little more esoteric maybe, but I really want to see like maybe what your perspective is. That's a great question. That's a very important question. Okay. So as, as far as I could work it out, I think that they had to uh, fast forward a number of their agenda. Okay. So uh, we have now this coronavirus uh, pandemic, right? Uh, I think that that was the, that agenda probably was intended to be launched either along with the world war or after, in the, in the, in the immediate aftermath, you know, when people are uh, traumatized and disoriented to the maximum, and then they go along with this. I think they had to uh, uh, push it forward because they couldn't get a war going. And, you know, like we, we talked a bit earlier that the Russians, that the Chinese and a number of other forces in the world, like Iranians, maybe uh, Belarus, have understood the game. So they're not falling for the bait. They're not falling for the provocation that maybe 100 years ago would have triggered a wider war. So the last one, last attempt uh, orchestrated by British intelligence and uh, diplomacy was the attempted uh, invasion of Iran, which would have probably triggered uh, a wider war be between the West, the NATO, United States, and Iran. But that didn't work out because, I don't know if you remember, but the, they, they downed the U.S. drone. And then there was, uh, you know, the British, the British actors were trying to flood the zone around Trump to kind of coerce him into launching an attack. And Trump said no. And then that's when uh, Sir Kim Derrick, uh, British ambassador, went berserk, fired off a bunch of cables. And then the anonymous uh, shortly thereafter uh, leaked out. The interesting thing about that is that apparently, according to, according to WikiLeaks, Anonymous is uh, controlled by the FBI. So uh, since it, it appears that Donald Trump managed to take over the FBI, then we know that probably it was Donald Trump and his people who caused the British, uh, the British agenda to be uh, brought to light. And then... Sir Kim Derrick had to actually, it was quite a scandal. He had to resign from his position. This was kind of glossed over in the media, but this was a major event. Okay, so they didn't get a war. And uh, we went then to this uh, COVID-19 agenda, which is horrible, which is extremely dark. And why did they rush it? So that was your question to go back to. So... Here was, here's what started happening in, the, in September of last year. The, uh, the repo market, I, I'll have to explain this because it's, it seems like it's, uh, it's like a weird esoteric thing, but 
basically what happens that when when banks in the United States close their book at, books at the end of the day, they have to have a certain level of reserves with the federal at the at, with, at, with the, in their account at the Federal Reserve. And then uh, in September, something started going wrong. First, the the interest rate on these so the repos are repurchase agreements, right? And here's how it happens. So let's say, Scott, at the end of the day, you're short. You don't have enough money uh, for to cover your reserve requirements. And then you say, hey, Alex, you know, can you loan me 100 million bucks? And tomorrow morning, I pay you back 101. So for me, it's like, you know, a million bucks overnight. Excellent. So, you know, no problem. So this repo market was functioning almost on a routine basis. Banks were loaning each other funds overnight so that they could square their books except that something went wrong in September and the interest rate uh, jumped. It spiked quite high. I can't remember what it was, but maybe annualized 10%, maybe something like that. I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, it was 10. It was 10. Okay, awesome. So that's what happened. And from that, so what does that tell you? That tells you that, you know, I wouldn't lend you money overnight only you know, to make the easy million bucks overnight, only if I thought that you're bust and you're not going to be able to pay me back. So at that point, I say, okay, Scott, look, I'll, I'll lend you 100 million bucks, but you're going to have to pay me 105 tomorrow morning. How's that? And so it was obvious that something went terribly wrong. That is, the banks in the network realized that one or maybe more than one of them uh, was basically finished was bust. So there, uh, the Federal Reserve had to uh, jump in and the Federal Reserve had to provide liquidity to cover these, uh, uh, the, the lack of liquidity in the repo market. And so it started being, being like, uh, I think uh, $12 billion overnight, then 24, then 25, then it went to a hundred billion overnight. I think we pretty much got to 1.5 trillion uh, repo uh, bailouts, and I think that they're planning to go up to five trillion dollars in repo bailouts, which means that the financial system has run its course. It's actually falling apart, and now the only way to keep it together is to monetize more and more and more debt. Uh, to uh, make all the bad debts that are on the book, books of these banks uh, to, to backstop them with the taxpayer money, which is not really taxpayer money. They're simply printing it out of thin air, but it eventually comes back to the taxpayer burden because it'll, it'll, it'll result in high levels of inflation, right? So instead of Let's say instead of the establishment letting these banks and their zombie corporations fail, they will just keep printing money, bail them out, and they will uh, let everybody else take the hit through inflation. So simply your savings, your pensions, uh, whatever money you have is going to progressively lose purchasing power. And the, the, the objective of this game is simply to keep the, the the governing structures intact through this crisis, but you can't do it with 
uh, effective democracy because people will say this is this is just this is just not okay. Uh, the amounts of money that are being printed out of thin air are absolutely staggering. You know, like when they tell you so many trillion, so many trillions, you know, 50 trillion, 20 trillion, 100 trillion, people get lost. It's like zeros. What the hell is this? But when you calculate the number per man, woman, and child in the United States or per taxpayer, you realize that they just printed up something like $30,000 per man, woman, and child. And gave it to the banks and corporations right right so you can't do that under a democratic system it's going to be pushed back it's not going to work so they have to they have to bring in a totalitarian government that's what they have to do well we have the same problem in europe the same exact thing is going on the ecb european central bank is doing the same thing they're printing up money like there's no tomorrow they're bailing out corporations and banks uh, Bank of Japan, all the major central banks, they're doing this in a coordinating manner and the, the global uh, totalitarian regime is meant to uh, be rolled out everywhere across the world. So did the COVID plan come first though and then this was actually an opportunity gained at the end of last year? I mean, look, look at all the CEOs that also left and this COVID thing's been in the works for a while. So it seems to me like that became first and this was an opportunity to use the new modern monetary theory or whatever to bring in the totalitarian. Yeah, I think I think that was the intent, but I think that they had, you know, like I think that they were preparing it, but, uh, you know, launching it like this without a war, without a foreign enemy to to hate and to close ranks behind the government to fight. Um. You have opposition, you have, look at us, we're talking about this, right? Um, you have a lot of people having a lot of opinion and I think that the whole project has completely lost credibility. Practically nobody believes it anymore. You know, like I remember in March, I would say this whole thing is complete bullshit and people would come back, oh, what, you want people to die, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, now I kind of look, you know, like, and on, on uh, for for, uh, for newspapers, the official newspapers who still allow comments, or if they publish their articles on Facebook, and then you see comments, it's virtually one hundred percent. Nobody believes it. Like literally, nobody believes it. So I don't know how you roll out a global totalitarian government when you don't have a like a really strong ideology. You know, communism in Russia came out. There was a, there was an ideology behind it. You know um here there's no ideology there's just these elites that everybody hates you know like the klaus schwab and bill gates and george soros they're pushing it uh the media are lying to us and everybody understands that they're lying to us right. and so i think that they pushed it prematurely another reason why i think they pushed it prematurely is it it it, it, it seems that they meant to have all these chip technologies ready you know i think they intended to have the vaccines ready so that they would vaccinate you, give you your chip and say, okay, now you can go around, but because your chip is, is, is clear, you're cleared to move around. They don't have the chip. They don't have these uh, passports. They don't have, there's so many things that they are, I think, muddling through, inventing as they go along. And the whole thing is, I think we're barely six months, seven, seven months into the, into the, agenda and it's already kind of lost all credibility with virtually everybody 
And it's extremely important for them, for us to cooperate. And I think that they're losing this. So I'm, I'm very optimistic that the project will fail, but I'm also concerned because they will not go down without setting the world ablaze to get their way. Charlie. And everybody's still walking around with masks on. So yeah. if well, people believe it or not, they're not standing up for themselves right now. Walk yeah, around. I, I, I want to say this. That's frustrating. That's very frustrating. But, you know, I think that we have to have no illusions that it's never going to be 100% of people who are going to be able to understand the truth and push for change. It's always going to be a certain percentage, what, 5, 10, 20%. I don't know what it is, but we shouldn't be discouraged. The other ones will, will catch up, you know, um, little by little gradually. So. Just so everybody knows, you know, the little town that I left uh, last week, now that I'm in Iowa, they actually passed five to two that you need to wear a mask in your house if you have more than 10 people there. So um, I, I'm not totally shocked by this because wow. one of the reasons I was leaving was not only did they have the signs up on Main Street, but they were contemplating making you wear masks outside, uh, not only on Main Street, but throughout the town. But they took it a step further. And remember, this is the place that one out of 15 people tested positive. They didn't even test half the population and there were zero hospitalizations, let alone deaths. So there are no real metrics here. So Jay, Jason, if you, li if you live in a, with a huge family, everybody in the family has to wear a mask. Is that if you can't saying? stay six feet apart and there's 11 fucking people, Ricky, you betcha. But so, what it really yeah. is. Wow. So that, there, goes, there goes your weekend orgies, right? You can't, you're going to have to leave one out at last. Right. What they think they're doing is being slick with the students, right? Because all those students didn't leave. They all got apartments, Ricky. So now they got 3,000 kids that are in that place. They all want to have their Halloween parties. Well, the best they could do is when they busted a party of more than 10 people is $1,500 fine for the person that owned the home or rented the home. Now, if they've got 50 fucking people there, they got possibly $50,000 because it's a $1,000 fine for not wearing your mask in my town now. It's absolute insanity. And if you look at the CDC's new numbers, 70.2% of those who got COVID when asked said they always wore a mask. 3.9% said they never wore one. So less than 4% of people that weren't wearing masks, according to the CDC, said they never wore a mask. Okay. And then 70 plus percent said they did. That's how effective masks are. And I don't know if you guys have seen this yet. I couldn't believe it. But yes, an actual WHO representative, I loathe the World Health Organization, I'm not giving him any credence, I want to put that out there, but has now backflipped on uh, lockdowns and condemned them. They're scared to go to prison. <laughs> scared to go to prison. Crimes against humanity. I mean, let's be honest. And I saw your thing today, and then I turned on Cuomo, and he said that the metrics in New York are different than the rest of the country. Because he has a better team working on it. I, I swear, I just saw your show. I flicked it off. I put it on. And he almost sitting there saying, New York has developed their own tests and their own data. And we're going to go with New York's data because we don't trust the other data. And as we've discussed, he also is in cahoots with Gates and, and Schmidt. So, But he's literally saying on TV, our data is not the same as the federal data. Only New York data matters to New York. And I'm thinking... And he's going state by state saying how bad everyone else did but New York. And he means it. it it's it's and Biden wants him. Did you hear, Mel, that Biden wants Cuomo? <laughs> as the AG. Well, 
Yeah, it's all big cities. It's, this is all Agenda 2030. You know, I, I live two kilometers away. They have like a, now they created a metro area around our city, Winnipeg here in Manitoba. And I live two kilometers away from mandatory masks. It's just, uh, it, it's just insane. But it's all like just coming like here. We had the conservative government putting in social, like the Ministry of Social uh, uh, Development. No, uh, sorry, Sustainable Development. Yeah. Hey, John, you're, for people who don't know, because uh, you showed up late, you're friends with Tim, and uh, I know uh, you didn't really get a chance to introduce yourself. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. Do, do you want to just let people know? Because I know uh, Monica was actually asking me, she's like, hey, where's Tim? And I'm like, actually, John's here for Tim. He's he's a friend yeah. of his. Yeah, I'm, I'm the better, better half of the Tim and John show that we currently have. I worked actually with Josh Sigerson that probably most of you know for, uh, we started the uh, World Alternative Media about four years ago. So I worked with him for a very long time, still do a little bit of videos with him. Uh, and then, of course, I worked with uh, Giedra Griffin uh, on uh, Freedom Force International on the council. We created the, the Red Pill Expo that currently was held in the greatest place uh, that, you know, this whole scam started at uh, Jekyll Island. So I've been working with Ed since 2013. Uh, and then I've been writing a couple of books, you know, trying to expose uh, the uh, the whole scam. It's, you know, the end of freedom, how our monetary system enslaves us. And then, of course, I had everybody in Canada. I was like, well, what's going on here in Canada? So I wrote a book actually in 2015 predicting the craziness. Like Canada has gone full Venezuela, by the way. Like we could talk about that for uh, for hours. But it's just insane what have happened here with the money printing uh, scheme. So I kind of like, that's what I do. I, I'm a macroeconomics guy and monetary historian. I started with that, like in, uh, in 2008, got interested in that and been doing it ever since. So, and you could find everything that I do on the economic truth.org. So that's, that's all about me. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, you've been, Hey, killed. I have a, yeah, go I have ahead. a question for Alex really, really fast. Um, I think it's funny that we see this convergence of the banking uh, IMF World Bank and the fuckery that's going on with those people and the COVID situation in, of all places, Belarus, where the president came forward and talked about how he was bribed with a billion dollars by the IMF and World Bank to lock down his country, institute mask mandates and do all that stuff. And he has said no. And now when I heard that, I thought, oh, shit. This looks like this guy's exposing the scam. Like he's about to have a plane crash any day now. What do you know about that? Uh, essentially what you just said, but I thought that that, that exactly uh, gives it away. I actually published, I published an article on my blog exactly about this because uh, I, think, I think Lukashenko get, gave it away in, in saying this in public. So, uh, and... Uh, in, you know, initially, I just thought the, the news was weird. This was in June. And I thought it was weird that IMF would offer him $940 million uh, and condition the loan on measures that would make it much less likely that they could ever repay the loan. You know, like, here's a billion bucks, and we want you to destroy your economy. And that's now we that's IMF's who, business plan, by the way. Right. <laughs> who took the money? If, if, it was, if he's being honest... There's probably countries that took the money. Exactly. So that's exactly it because 85 countries, you know, so what? They, they basically destroyed the global economy. So governments all around the world can't make their budget. Their tax receipts are down. And so they have to ask for loans, you know, in order to be able to pay the bills. 
And so the IMF and World Bank come through, they give them the loan and say like, but guess what? We want you to do this and this and this. We want you to really antagonize your people, make them wear masks. Be- That's slavery. That's, That's slavery. confessions of an economic hitman. That's yeah. John Kirkland's yeah, book. Exactly. And so we, we, we know this thanks to Lukashenko, but all the other governments just simply took the money and forgot to tell the constituents uh, what the conditionalities were. But that's who's pushing the agenda, obviously, because that's the only that's the only uh, power that could persuade everybody to be so deeply entrenched in incoherence and madness and insist on it in spite of it making no sense and carry forward, you know, like the the second wave, there's never been a second wave before of anything, right? Uh, contagious come and dissipate. Now we have the second wave. Was there ever a second wave? No, but everybody is like, oh yeah, this is the second wave. Like we know all about this. Uh, no foundations in science. It's all based on the PCR testing. Nobody's right. dying. I mean, like, you know, the, the death rates are low. Uh, also that guy then, in the, yeah, the guy in the beginning that tested the fruit, that came back positive was that Zimbabwe or somewhere? It was uh, Tanzania, I think. Tanzania, he was another yeah. guy that I was like, okay, this no, guy's going out. It. He didn't make it though. Yeah, what? they whacked him. Well, um, no, 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 that was no, no. Uh, the, they whacked a different. There was another African country where they whacked the guy, uh, not the Tanzania. not the fruit testing guy. <laughs> Zambia, Zambia, Angola. That's a couple of ter- terribly corrupt places. Yeah. Well, one of the things, Mel, that you pointed out uh, the other day was just that how how it's compartmentalized. So like regional specific, like the destruction, like over here, it's the wildfires because that's our industry, like agriculture and timber and, and, and stuff right. like that. And over in New York, it's, it's hospitality and, and all that. So so diable. Yeah. I mean, they have people everywhere. It's like he's saying, like they have it like they, like when, when Trump said and that's what we talked about on your show, you guys, is like when Trump said people that I'm fighting nobody's ever heard of these are the what we're talking about the people that finance both sides of all these wars and that are financing antifa and black lives matter and probably all every other group but it's it's all over the world the problem is that right now the election in america isn't about america like you know it's not about this it's really about like are we going to keep you know fighting with an alliance to like root this like the virus are these bankers that have made us all in all of our own countries slaves to their debt like he's saying they they how many how many people took the bribe so there's a huge brouhaha going on going on in belarus for you know azerbaijan and 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 you know armenia why are they picking these places they're strategically picking them these same people so you know and i just i i wish people understood that biden is just a puppet and well, or like I think, Trump, you know. I think that's some of our frustration sometimes. I think people don't understand when you're deep into this, and there's, I mean, Alex and I, I, I so we're joking a, a while ago about how I'm like, we're constantly sharing the same things unknowingly. Like two seconds later, I'm like, hey, he shared the same thing I'm sharing, and um, and uh, and it's just like when when every single day there's more evidence and more evidence of more evidence. Then when somebody seems like they're drinking the Kool-Aid, you're just like, it's hard to like not get a little frustrated and like not be like, what the hell are you reading? Like, what the hell are you watching? Like, there's like, I get it. Like, 
okay, maybe if there's just a couple pieces of evidence that like, okay, could, there could be fuckery here. Like, I get it. Like, oh, maybe you can accuse us of connecting dots that are a little further apart. But when it, there's so much evidence, to me, it's almost, it's, it's almost harder to, it, it takes more, um, who's leaving? Somebody, Alex, are you leaving? No. <laughs> I thought somebody was waving. Grind America. Oh, Grind America. Oh, sorry, guy. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I hey, gotta go see you guys. Hey, thanks for joining us. And uh, I almost feel like it's harder to believe the official story than it is the alternate stories, uh, ah. you know, theories. Because the official story is just like, how do you believe it when there's so much evidence proving that you can't believe the numbers, you can't believe statistics, you can't put your your hope and faith in in the tests being accurate. Like, so what what evidence are you looking at to believe the official story? Because it's all wrong, you know? So I, I think sometimes when, uh, you know, and I think in, in future shows, you know, I'm hoping to also get more people on who maybe have a different perspective. And Scott, actually, who, who joined us today, I got tons of positive feedback when I had him on last because it was at the height of the lockdown and he, we kind of differed in opinion on what was going on. And we had like a hour and a half, two hour show, whatever it may be, uh, kind of just sharing ideas, challenging each other's ideas and thoughts or whatever. And uh, and a lot of people gave me positive feedback about the fact that it was just nice to see that people could have that discussion, you know. And and um, I just think it, it becomes, you know. But in some cases, I think it's very hard because when somebody like I know Mel, you know, you're like, well, you, you know, you're on that side, or you know, I, I think it's hard not to get emotional because you feel like, okay, um, you know, if you truly are down the middle, then let's you know, let's critique both sides. Let's critique both sides yeah. and be open to it. I mean, but there's an intolerance that I was reading. Also, I have a lot of negative feelings about, you know, I'm, I'm with DiCaprio or I'm in the Hollywood Hills. It's not so bad. And, uh, you know, and but all I was saying was I know some proud boys and, and I know that Antifa is burning down and Black Lives Matter are destroying my area. So, you know, for him to go so over the edge, I get it. But, you know, I'm not going to act like. But aren't there people on the other okay. side, too? There's also people who, who say that, like, nobody on the right is violent or. And the thing is, there, I don't think that at all. No. Well, there, no, there are people. There are people on the right who say that, like, oh, you know, it's a, it's all, you know, the other That's side, you know. So I, I think there's extremists on, on both sides. Well, live and learn. I learn never to tell anyone I think they're on a side. <laughs> I least, think, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I, th I think there's one critical difference between between these two sides is that there's one side is being funded and organized by people like George Soros, you know. So I I think that mm, there's a there's there's quite a difference be because they are not only uh, inclined to be violent, they're being encouraged to be violent. And I think that there's a lot of these like uh, proud boys who are maybe a bit more genuine, maybe a bit more authentic, and they have no intention to be violent. And then if they, but aren't there I'm, aren't there also a lot of people in the Black Lives Matter movement? And I know a few who I I think are just misguided. But you can we can also say the same thing that they're genuine. They they I they honestly do feel like it's a cause worth fighting for or whatnot. They're not the ones. You know, doing riots. You know, I, I don't like calling them protests because I think we blurred the line between what's a riot and a protest. We're calling everything a protest when it's like, wait, when you're burning shit down, it's a riot. It's not a protest. Um, but uh, I, I do know people on the, on the other side who who truly believe. Like, I think their hearts in the right place. They might be misguided, but their hearts in the right place. So I think, like, you know, I guess that's I'm just making my point again that 
um, that they're on both sides. There are people who honestly just believe in what they believe in. They they don't want violence. They don't want to hurt anybody. And then there's also people completely extreme, you know, and, and it's no different than like, you know, a Christian who, who might blow up a, a birth control clinic because they're anti-abortion. Like they don't reflect all Christians, you know? So in, well, I in, think the difference is the organization and the money behind it, as opposed to, you know, when there's violent people that show up somewhere, that's one thing. When there's violent people that got printed out, you know, a 15, got emailed a 15 page document on how to, uh, you know, handle rioting and who to target and what to wear. And, and you can pick up your check at this Venmo account. It's, it's a little different. I don't think that's going on with these. You know, I don't know any white supremacists. I don't. I, I guess I'm lucky. I've lived in a city all my life, I, in Philly and in New York and L.A. I, I don't know any. I also don't know any, you know, gang people. I, I don't know these people, but I do know that some of them are organized. And when it's organized and it's, it's, it connects and that there's flights and there's hotel rooms and there's food and there's, there's a rule book and there's a playbook and there, people are bailing them out of jail it's a little different. You know, the guys that, that are protesting, you know, the bikers or whatever, them, they call them boogaloo boys. I have no idea what that is. I, I don't. I keep hearing it. Proud boys. It, I mean, it was, it was, you know, that's it. So, Mel, no, let me talk about some real white supremacists for a second, because I think they're kind of a joke and they're never portrayed as a joke. Instead of being portrayed as a joke, they do try to lump them in with whether it be the Proud Boys or militia. Even I heard Greg Palast uh, talk about the supposed kidnapping of that governor when you have the sheriff now saying that it may have just been a citizen's arrest and not a kidnapping plot. There's a lot more to unravel there. And I got to tell you, I'm not against citizens arrests of governors that are making outlandish executive orders that are oppressing people. At what point do we decide to do that? But to harken back to the white supremacism thing, in 2017, when I started doing this again, literally the first day, when I went to Bilderberg 2017 in Chantilly, Virginia, I was approached uh, by the now infamous crying Nazi, the person who was eventually portrayed as Charlottesville's ringleader on Vice and got caught, dig jail time, cried all over the news, Chris Cantwell. Cantwell knew who I was because... Uh, of loose change, obviously, and some of the things that I had done. Now, Cantwell had started as kind of like this libertarian, literally in his mom's basement, podcaster and, uh, you know, social media guy that started to get attention from the white nationalists and then went full-blown white nationalism, anti-Semitism, the whole thing. I still talked to him. There was nothing violent about him. It was by putting a camera on him and saying, we're going to put this on vice, and this is going to be big, that you build this persona of somebody who was an intellectual liar and crybaby at the end of the day, who had no fucking power. I don't care if he had 100 people out there saying Jews will not replace us with tiki tortures. They are not organized. They're ignorant at best. Cantwell's push for those that don't know, that put him over the edge into white supremacy is that his girlfriend slept with a black guy and it became extremely insecure. That's the reality of these fucking people. That's the joke they are. But the media is never going to tell you that. OK, and they banned my interview with Cantwell from uh, YouTube after that it was like an hour long. You can kind of find I think it's in the Internet archives or whatever. And he tried to bring up 
you know, the Jews run the media. And he said to me, he goes, and I go, well, what about Roger Ailes? Roger Ailes wasn't Jewish. And he's like, oh, I, I'm pretty sure that he was. <laughs> I'm like, no, actually, Roger Ailes made some anti-Semitic comments. And then he also brought up Alex Jones. And for those that don't know, you know, again, Alex Jones, I'm the first guy he ever gave a show to. I worked at InfoWars uh, from 2008 to 2010. He produced several of my films. Alex Jones has no Jewish influence. I promise you. I watched him as he built that empire up. It was not because he had Jewish influence or was pr protected by Zionists. That doesn't mean that now that he's so pro-Trump and right-wing and obviously Trump's policies align with Israel and Sheldon Adelson, that he no longer talks about Israel or the Gaza Strip, et cetera. But these false narratives get created. And then not only does the media push them, but then they push these supposed white nationalist monsters that are supposedly pushing the same thing. Anybody that spends five minutes looking into it can see past the facade, but most people don't. Absolutely. And one of the most frustrating things is the fact that the establishment, whether it's the, the you know, government or media, like they just absolutely refuse to acknowledge the, the what's going on in the streets. Like right here in Portland, man, like we have, uh, I'm sure you guys have all heard the Antifa mayor. She's running for mayor of Portland, right? She says, I am Antifa, Sarah Iannori or whatever, however you pronounce her last name. And like on her website, she's got like this 10 point plan that she wants to do to address uh, violence and uh, right wing violence. Right. Um, number nine says play, place flags at half mast to honor all those who have been harmed by right wing and police violence in Portland. And the flag should stay that way for a year to remind me of some of the justice we're fighting, stuff like that. It's like, this is the, it's just a complete reversal, complete reversal, putting it all on this side. But it's like absolute refusal to acknowledge that there is some sort of Antifa thing going on and just yeah. another person murdered just uh, in Denver. Right. Like, I mean, it's like, Oh my gosh, really? Like, look, when can we just get back to reality and have this discussion? Like, I don't understand. It's just mind boggling. Yeah. You know, I don't know. <laughs> we lost us. Hey, everybody still. It, there it yeah. Is. Yeah. No, I, I think it comes down to like, I tried to, tried to start a political party here in our province, and I got attacked by both left, right, and center. <laughs> Everybody was coming after us. We were vilified in, in the media. I was called the anti-government uh, person because they caught up that I was uh, at Freedom Force with Ed Griffin. Um, and they had, we had like probably five or six plans from different parties coming in and like posing that they were all for our platform. And then they turned against us right in media, you know, right on live TV. They suddenly come out with a liberal platform, like totally against what we were talking about. So the, they're, they're all they all hate because they have a controlled group you know left and right that you know want to be in control and they hate for any competition to come in to you know uh destroy the monopoly or duopoly whatever you want to call it that they created with uh, the political system you have that in all countries like they're trying to make it harder and harder in norway that i come from as well to you know uh, run opposing parties so i think the the whole political system in itself i think we're at the end game of everything where we were uh, like really like the united states has been turning into like the end of the Roman Empire that we saw with, you know, a lot of uh, senators, you know, literally like murdering each other at the end because they totally, uh, you know, had destroyed their currency and destroyed their whole nation. So I, I think that's where we're, we're at. You know, the, the United States is uh, just one thing, the chaos that are there, but we have the same chaos in, uh, in a lot of other countries. Here in Canada, there's like Trudeau is a total sellout to the UN Agenda 2030. Like we have, like basically our budget is the Agenda 2030 platform. So it just uh, like infuriates me that these guys are, you know, 
uh, have in this control grid that they created, we need to just, you know, destroy. And that's what my point that I made to Palace in the at the Palace in the start there was that, you know, there's uh, such a massive amount of people that are not voting that, you know, have just like disconnected from the system because they don't believe it anymore. Alex, I know, I know you got to go because it's uh, 3 a.m. You, 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 yeah, you made. Uh, thank you all. It was a great pleasure. Honestly, I enjoyed this uh, very much. I wish I could stay longer, but I my day starts in a few hours, so I need to get some sleep. You know, it's thank funny. You, you have people who live people who live in the U.S. who are like, "Oh, it's too late for me." So I hope they they listen to this episode. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really, I really, really needed to hear a voice of reason from outside of our country because people are fighting over the wrong thing. Alex, can you tell people how to connect with you? Because I'm I'm sure some of these people might want to, you know, maybe connect after the show. Let people know where they can get your uh, your blog and uh, all your other. Uh, Yeah. So the blog is called The Naked Hedging, which is like. uh, as a hedge, as a hedge fund manager, and then the naked, you know, like naked chef. There was there was no naked hedges, so I thought may as well. Um, and uh, yeah, that's it. And uh, I don't You're know, maybe Twitter. You can, um, give people my email address. Yeah, email, I'll, after the show, people. I send everybody the the links to uh, the audio oh, video, brilliant. and I'll okay. put all your contact information so people can connect. You know, so. It's uh, one of the best parts of this show is kind of throughout the six years I've been doing this, I've been able to meet so many interesting people. So to be able to share those interesting people like you, Alex, with a bunch of other people is is uh, is one of the benefits of this. So hopefully. Brilliant. Brilliant. I love it. Uh, thank you all. Uh, it was it was a great pleasure. And uh, I let's keep in touch. Thanks, Alex. Take care. Thanks, Alex. Bye. Good night. Uh, awesome. And he's still here. <laughs> yeah so th- that's one of the benefits of doing this show is that i, I there's been I, and i love the fact that after these shows i see so many people jumping on each other's show and connecting it, it's just it, re- it really is awesome to see that but um john are is tim at the the red pill expo yeah he was at the red pill expo just actually uh, ended uh, today and they, they ended up like so there's a lot of people that were around me that you know were even in our uh, Freedom Force Council that were doubting that Ed was going to have any success because of COVID, because of everything. You know what? It was 600 people turning out. We only had one wow. Red Pill Expo that was even closed, and that was in Bozeman, Montana, our first one. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think there was thousands of people on the stream. So I, this was the right time. He had such a perfect timing on this. And, you know, nobody was wearing a mask, uh, of course, at the conference. And uh, it was it was just a really good time. And, and Ed, uh, of course, we're hanging out with him uh, last night until 2 a.m. Because uh, Ed is a late night guy. He, he usually works till 3 a.m. on his uh, uh, need to know news and all that stuff. Uh, but he's up like drinking with the guys until like 2 a.m. And uh, he's just a hardcore guy. Like he's 89 years old and he is like acting like he's uh, literally my age. You know, I'm in my uh, late 30s now. So <laughs> he yeah. is just full of, and this is just whole energization that he got from the, the conference. I'm going to call him in a couple of days when it's wound down, but I'm pretty sure he's going to be like a kid in the candy store, to be honest with you. Like this was like at the Jekyll Island, <laughs> all places yeah. uh, that he got to have this. So this was like kind of the, the pinnacle of his uh, total career. And, you know, he's been in the alternative media for, you know, many, many, many decades. 
Yeah, he was. I I had him on my show not too long ago, and I, I remember it was like the first time in a long time I was legitimately nervous because, and and I, honestly, I saw him at the I was at the Red Pill Expo in Hartford last year, and um and I didn't have the balls to talk to him. I'm just like I can't. I'm like I don't know. What am I gonna say to him? I'm like, you know. So it was just it was one of those things where it's funny how like when you watch somebody and you you know their books, you see interviews with them, and you watch them for so long, you still kind of get that like nervousness every once in a while, you know. No, I was he's probably one of the most approachable people that I ever met. Sorry, yeah. Uh, Charlie. Yeah, I was I was on we were on the same flight out of Mexico City to Narcapulco uh or to Acapulco for the Narcapulco event. And so we had uh, you know we were there like an hour before our flight and I just started talking to him and he's he's the nicest guy, you know. I mean the then he went up on stage. I said what what's your um, speech going to be about tomorrow? He goes I don't even know. I haven't even haven't even really thought about it yet. And he went up there and he just destroyed. He just talked off the cuff for like an hour and a half. It was amazing. So he's a, he's a, he's a good, he's a good dude that's been doing it for so long. And it's like, you can give, you can give people like our parents generation, his book, the creature from Jekyll Island, say, this is written by an older guy like you, you know, just read it and, and it'll open up their whole eyes. I mean, it might be too late for some people, but um, that book still holds up after a long, long time. And I want to say he is a legit party goer. I want to say the last time I saw him was 2013 at a bar after a conference doing karaoke. And I was with Luke Radowski, Tatiana Morose, and Josie Wales. And I remember he lasted at least as long as the rest of us because on the way up to back to the hotel, we caught the elevator together. And uh, we just talked about what a that great time we hilarious. had. And it had to be two or three in the morning. If, so if you anybody know, has, Griffin, you know, a great guy all around. I got to bounce. I got two little girls upstairs. I got to yeah. take care of. Yeah. Ricky, I think... Thank you again, brother. Yeah. Thanks, Jason. Thanks thank for being Jason. with us. I appreciate it. it we will definitely keep everybody in touch with uh, the thank next you. one. Yeah. Hopefully we'll have to get uh, Mr. Griffin on yeah, one thanks. of these shows. It, it's uh. yeah, I'll, I'll get him in contact with you if you want. To, yeah. Ricky. Yeah, I don't. I don't know who I talked to in regards to uh, booking him, but yeah, I'm gonna. I'll give it a try. I mean, it, it's nice that he's. You, in the... you try calling his cell phone number. Just said that John. Uh, John wanted to uh, have you in contact with him, and that you want to be on a show. That's usually how I do it. So, like, I've worked with the guy since 2013 now. So that's awesome. He's, uh, he's usually if if John like uh, is referring uh, somebody to him, he he usually is pretty good at it. Yeah, he he'd be awesome to have uh, on here. You know, there's a couple people off the yeah, on the. To bucket list you know we want to get alex jones on one which is definitely i mean that would be that'd be awesome if we could get crazy alex i mean none of us will be able to talk but we'll, at least we'll we'll listen to him for like two hours just go at it i'll figure it out yeah <laughs> yeah mel <laughs> if anybody uh, can jay dyer's our connection to alex yeah you're right yeah well and sam of course i mean he's been he's been sam. on there yeah yeah so um, yeah, that'd be that'd be awesome. And if anybody has a video of uh, Mr. Griffin doing karaoke, I'd also like to see that. That would be a, <laughs> I'd be interested. Oh, what's so much better now? It went well. <laughs> I went I went and saw Alice in Wonderland in Las Vegas with him one time. That was uh, quite the experience. Well, that's well, a whole nother show, dude. He and he hasn't aged. I'm telling you, like he he hasn't aged oh, at all. He, oh, you uh, should see him. I, I've been up at his. Uh, he has a beautiful place up in Paso Robles uh, that sometimes we've had the Congress for Freedom Force at. And he's just up there. Like, he actually is the one, like, the host that sets everything up and all the tables and everything. He's like, Ed, do you want some help over here? Like, he's like he's like a machine. But it, it's, you know, like, he's an extremely social guy. And 
he's been very healthy. You know, he's always been focused on that. So he, he's really a lead by example type of guy. And maybe that's good news for all of us that we'll have this karma for the like that us putting ourselves out there to be attacked and, and exposing stuff like he did. He took a huge risk that he was never taken out. Is, is you know, yeah, well, what's you crazy? Watch those Yuri Besmanov interviews from the 70s man when they're all you know you it's, it's the between the footage and the way they're dressed and you're listening to it and you're like holy shit if 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 our parents had been listening back then we might not be in this in this mess. we're talking <laughs> exactly. about some, some exactly. reality talking about you know subversion of populations and how you would do it and everything it's like oh my god it's like the it's like the playbook for what we're living through right now yeah, and he was, I mean, alternative uh, medicine. I mean, this guy, I know he's kind of really well known for his book on the Fed and, and whatnot, but I mean, he was talking about alternative treatments. I'm going to get kicked off YouTube now. Alternative treatments to cancer and, uh, and, and all types of things like that, like way before, you know, I mean, before I was born probably. And, and so it just, it's, it's wild how long he's been talking about these things. Like it's like stuff that a lot of people are just waking up to now. Like he's been, I was like, no, this isn't new stuff. Like there's been researchers who've been, you know, doing this forever. They just didn't have the resources that we have now, you know, to go do a YouTube video that might go viral to do a podcast and whatnot. So it, it's, you know, my hat really goes off to these guys who were, you know, doing this for so long and, and really continue doing it, even though it was much harder to get a message across back then than it is now. You know, we talk so about the big- ridicule, the abuse that you get <laughs> yeah. for telling the truth by like powerful people. I mean, I just started, obviously, I'm not no pro at this, but I just started doing that. I'm a big researcher and I'm a writer and I like history. But I mean, the abuse you get when you're just trying to like share literally well, facts. Well, you got to listen to Rogan. Rogan, one thing that he said, and it's so true, don't read comments. Like it just don't let I know, it, I know. You know, I can't stop. Not yet. stop. I'm not there. Yeah, you, you know, yeah, like you'll get to a point where initially and uh, Truthzilla, I don't know how you guys have been doing. Like, I know uh, you you kind of uh, your podcast is fairly new and, and Charlie, too, actually. So are, have you guys been good at like not paying attention to that stuff? Because you guys are both, you know, similar to myself, but, but like outspoken on social media. It's not like you, uh, you know, you, you kind of stray away from like putting out your opinions and perspectives. Have you guys, uh, you know. Is there any tricks to the trade? Have you have you learned to not read shit, or you're like, fuck it, I have thick skin, I can deal with it. I'll argue with people, I don't care. I don't know how thick my skin is, but I definitely don't take it lying down. I get pretty, uh, I get pretty fiery about. I, I, I here's the thing, I'm all about a different narrative. I'm all about a different perspective, and come to me with different information because we've talked about this many, many times. We want to be in our own echo chambers, right? But if you don't come to our, I'm an administrator of our, you know, content. So if anybody, I, I will catch that stuff in the daytime, people getting out of line, getting super disrespectful. When it crosses a line into disrespect, um, I let them have it. <laughs> I need to develop thick skin and I need to be quiet. In fact, it's really interesting. It was like the last uh, couple of days I went back and forth with someone on YouTube over, uh, I think it was when you were on the Liberty Advisor, Mel, and someone said something that I didn't think was cool about that whole interview and so i just let them have it and then they started to go back and i just unloaded so that's just how it goes yeah, i'm not i have i have the thinnest skin in the whole world i, I really do so i wasn't and you're in, and you're in hollywood now how does that even make sense uh well i i honestly i'm one of the few people who actually had a job in hollywood so i worked like 15 hours a day and i kept my head down but um, no, I guess I have a, th- but that's the thing. I have a thick skin when it comes to being rejected by Hollywood. 
but I have a thin skin being rejected as me. You know yeah, what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, I'm fine. I've, I've worked hard enough on my, on my class and, and education and everything. If I walk into a room and I get rejected or they don't like my script or whatever, it's fine. But when it's, when people are attacking me, you know, it's a whole different game. Well, and then, you know, I don't know. You know, uh, you know what I learned, uh, is that, you know, I, I, I read a book called the four agreements and one of the rules in there is like, never take anything personally. Uh, and because it's always the other person's paradigm, you know, that they attack you. I was hackled at school for like 13 years. So I've got a really thick skin <laughs> and uh, like me and Josh, like constantly get like I got death threats and got called uh, all kinds of names, you know, uh, uh, over the time. But, you know, for me, it's like that rule is like never take anything personally. It's the other person's problem with you unless it's actually constructive criticism. I, I've gotten a lot of that, too, which is great. You know, the way you portray yourself and all this stuff and what you say and so on. So that's totally fine. But, you know, when it comes to. Uh, uh, you know, the just the personal attacks and all that stuff. It, it's basically when they don't have an argument with you, they got to attack your personality. Right? Yeah. And and honestly, sometimes it, it is a personal thing. I mean, I play a lot of pickup basketball all over, you know, the area and, and cities and, and whatnot. Well, I don't now that much, but uh, I did before everything got shut down. And uh, sometimes you see the kid who's constantly getting in fights with people like physically or just arguing. You find out about like their home lives and they come from a broken home. They come from... Um, you know, their dad was abusive. Maybe their dad's not even around, you know, maybe, uh, their mom was a drug addict or, or whatever, whatever it may be. Um, and you realize like, okay, this is like, I'm taking this personally as in like, this is disrespect towards me or this is anger towards me. But the truth is there's just anger in him. And I just happen to be what's in the way, you know, and I just happen to be the target for today, but it's an internal issue. And, um, I, I kind of look at everything like that, you know, same thing with online. I'm like, I don't know who this person is. Maybe if I sat down and actually talked to them and they weren't behind a screen, they might be much more reasonable. Maybe they wouldn't be, um, you know, jumping to conclusions and, and, and whatnot. I've been, I've been called, I, I mean, I, I've never once had a guest on to talk about QAnon and I've been called a, a QAnon follower a billion times. And I'm just like, how? I'm like, I've never even like, but it shows that like, it's just like you said, it's, it's in many cases, it's just somebody getting personal or trying to throw things like that at you to label you because they don't have an argument like i i I'll, I'll disagree with people all day i love my ideas being challenged because if i struggle to verbalize how i feel on something that means maybe i should think this out better or maybe maybe my stance on it isn't the right stance you know so uh, my my ideas are constantly changing and and i'm not married to anything you know even what a lot of stuff that i'm you asked me today like even on some of the current event stuff we discussed like okay is this do you agree that this is correct? And I'm like, yeah, right now, but I'm open to hearing somebody from another perspective as long as they're open to, you know, having their ideas challenged too, not just challenging ideas, but having their, and that's the biggest problem is everybody's willing to challenge other people's ideas. The second you challenge their ideas, they get defensive and that, and that what causes basically a, a non-productive conversation. The, the ones that get me are the comments that are just so unbelievably stupid that you feel obligated for humanity's sake to argue back with them. I got a comment from some dipshit Antifa girl on Twitter this weekend that was like, dude, what are you talking about? Antifa is just an idea. And I was like, okay, here we go. So I will get drawn into those fights from hey, time Charlie, to time. You know, you know that was actually Greg's second account, right? Greg Palace's second account. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, Greg. I love you. I love yeah. you. Oh, come on yeah. again. Probably yeah. never. But 
hopefully yeah. he'll come out again. He's but actually a really fun. great guy. Those he's, aren't personal. I, those are just like Greg's you actually know. another OG. You know, he's another guy who he's been around. If you, oh, like yeah. some some of his old documentaries, you know, uh, vulture, you know, about vulture funds and 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 you know the best money or the best democracy money can buy. Like he really has been doing it for a, a long time. So I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm kidding. You know, in, yeah, he's a legit guy. He's done. Yeah, he's right. done a lot of great work. I mean, it just look. But like anybody, my my where I stand politically changes, cha- has changed over the years, you know, and 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 that's fine. That that's allowed as long as you anchor it in some form of reality, and you're able to sort of express why you feel the way you feel, or why you feel like you've changed, or maybe even the parties have. Sh- I mean, the parties have shifted in one direction. You may stay the same in your thoughts, but now be labeled as alt right or something. And you're that's like, a very good point. Yeah, but you yeah. get. You can get branded. You can rebrand yourself, obviously. You can think differently, but you can also be rebranded because the parties go different directions and leave you kind of somewhere in the middle. And yeah. um, I, think I try to always say, think, dig for yourself. Here's the information. This yeah. is what I'm talking about. I, I don't need to tell you. I did my own research, too. I'm just like another person. Just go look look it up. If you think I'm wrong, that's fine. You know, I, I'm okay with that. And you can tell me. But most people, you know, I, I just this is all new, but it's amazing. And and I'm telling you guys, the women are so mean, like the women on the left that are attacking Megan and me and Nancy and Monica. You should see. What I mean. so, like, Wild. It's horrible, right? It's horrible. It's evil. They're, it's atrocious behavior. I've never ever. I couldn't even imagine like that. My And I look like my peers. It's just vile. It's that's all like it's just wicked vileness, and I, and it blows my mind. Like some of the things that come out of these mouths, I'm just like, are you like a human being looking at me and like we're this is happening? This is happening? Like it, it's just it's mind blowing. I used to think that the left was compassionate, or yeah. at least they used to portray mm-hmm. themselves like that. Yeah, and 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 I'm not left or Until. right. Some you know I'm just trying to be as objective as I can, and and I think you know I know the the right always goes oh the left is unhinged, but it's like. The left is is unhinged, like like a disproportionate amount of them are out of their fucking minds. It seems like, and 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 it's hard it's hard to have an argument or a conversation against somebody that's flipping out on you. But you just you just wonder, like, what is it? Are you like, what's going to happen to you if Donald Trump wins again? Have you considered the the, the, the possibility i mean there's going to be people that that have to be institutionalized after this like we saw you know like i've got in my intro to my show the screaming lady going ah you know that to me because to me that's hilarious but but what happens if he wins again like have we i mean we're kind of joking about this and 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 i think there's a, a very good chance he will especially if you go by the amount of enthusiasm that trump has behind him Whereas Biden has zero, you got to assume that he's in the ball game, despite what all the polls say. But what are the what's the left actually going to do if he wins again? And they realize they have four more years. Are there are their heads going to metaphorically explode on us? Is it going to get worse? Are the attacks against against you guys going to increase, or are these people just going to go suck their thumb in a corner because they've short circuited their little soy fed brains or something like what? Well, what is this going to look like? I, I think a big problem, too, with all this is the fact that, like, you know, they say that like that old quote, like if you're if you're when you're young, if you don't have a heart, 
No, if you're not a liberal, you don't have a heart. If when you're old, if if you're not a conservative, you don't have a brain. Like, the, you're you're right, Charlie. Like the the left was known to be the compassionate, the the ones that were tolerable of so many different types of people and classical and, and, liberals. And, yeah, like, libertarians. Exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. And and <laughs> and um and I think the thing about young people is they they have much more time on their hands than the you know people on the right who are going to work taking care of their kids so you take all these brainwashed young people because let's be honest the universities are it's not a place for ideas for sharing ideas or exploring ideas it's a, a place to to force feed you th their ideas and yeah. so what happens is you get all these very passionate young people who are misguided or looking for answers. And then somebody force feeds them their philosophy that seems to make sense, but they don't get the other side of the argument. So because they don't get the other side of the argument, the argument that they do get makes perfect sense to them. You know, they don't, because they ban anybody who's speaking, who might have different ideas or whatever. Then because of all that, you get these really passionate, a uh, lot of time on their hands, young people with a lot of energy who, uh, you know, who are going to make the most noise. and 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 really, that's why it seems like their voice, and, and, and in a way, almost why they're more threatening, right? Because a lot of people who are on the right, they're not out in the streets at till midnight because they have to wake up the next day for work. Right. You know, also, like, they're being, being manipulated by like $15 an hour to go do X. And it is, you know, when, when you're, but if you look at all the pictures, there's something very wrong with, with how similar all these people look. Like, you know, yeah. there's a lot of juvenile halls and, and all this, but all these all these people look very similar to all the like false flag shooters and every all I'm saying is that they they've dumbed down our kids so much that it's like, no, they, they they're fine being fed. And then they'll go out there and they don't think like the other guy has a family at home or the other, you know, I, I just I saw it begin with with um Occupy Wall Street, and it, it's it's just evolved since then. But it, the people that they're, but the, the sad part is that what I'm saying is the same people that are, you know, looking to, I believe, you know, to take away our sovereignty, uh, are using these people, and you know, these these Antifa and Black Lives Matter only have power now when they're needed, and then they're not going to have anything, and then you know they have all these arrest records and everything. I mean, the DA can keep letting them out, letting them out, but they're ruining these kids' lives. Most of them look like they're in their 20s. They they're still having records, you know? So to me, it's like incredibly sad that uh, there's a generation of kids that got totally caught up in this nonsense. But like, I, you know, all we can do is pray. Like you said, because like in, 2000, in 2016 at a New York Jesuit university, they actually offered counseling when Trump won to all the students. And we parents received emails that, you know, if you're a student, if your son or daughter is upset, there's counseling set up. And they had weeks of counseling and they didn't have to go to class if they were extremely upset. And I heard them be in their safe spaces. <laughs> right. And then they were dragging the flag on the floor in the cafeteria. And I was just like, are you kidding me? I mean, my sons hated, well, one of them was on track team, so he loved that part. But my other one was like, universities are horrific. 
He said, first of all, you go there for the recruitment and it's just a big marketing scam. They think that this is going to get you the job like my son. And I was just like, oh, but I just want you to get your degree. That'll be great. You know, and they got scholarships, thank God. But they really negotiated it because um, especially at the Jesuit schools, they're not big on scholarships. They negotiated such an amazing thing. I was like, why wouldn't you go? But he's like, the professors don't know, like they don't teach. He goes, I mean, uh, I don't know if anybody's a professor here, but he's like, professors, they couldn't make it in the real world. So they taught in the university and then they keep teaching. They keep saying how Trump is so horrible and you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't be behind him. And they were putting- And they're doctors. They're doctors of philosophy by then. So they get to go and and write for think tanks. Right. And the Jesuits. How how crazy we all are in the real world. And the Jesuits are really, I mean, they're a little out there. And I hate to say it. (laughs) You know, it's not like uh, St. Francis and back then and Ignatius. It's, It's kind of separated from there. So I could just imagine what will happen if Trump wins. And if the school is closed, like I just heard Iona College closed because they had 60 new positive cases. So now everything's remote. So what happens if the students at the university are remotely learning? Are they going to be going to counseling remotely? Yes. And why are they paying 60 grand to still go remotely? Right. Shouldn't there be a bargain? There isn't. NYU is still charging seventy grand a year for remote. I, I think what they really want, I, I think they just want a contested election, and then they want to have the limbo all the way to the end. You know, when whoever is going to take it stage, and then they just want the chaos because I believe they're going to do a second wave of financial bailouts now to you know Wall Street and everybody else because, and then they they actually have the Banking for All Act. I don't know if you guys have seen that which is basically everybody's going to have a bank account with the Federal Reserve. Uh, and then they got you. You know, they, I uh, when I was down in Acapulco, where I actually met, uh, of course, uh, uh, some of you guys, it was, um, I, I talked to a guy called Simon Dixon a couple of years ago. And Simon, uh, he said that, you know, they're going to just let the whole system fall apart. And then they're going to be like, hey, come over here, you know, come over to the to Fed now coin and uh, just, you could lose everything over here in the regular system, but then you can get all your money back if you go to our electronic system and become a full slave. <laughs> right. Well, that's yeah. what I'm thinking about New York, that they're trying to destroy it, get everyone out that they possibly can, and then rebuild it as their smart city. And then it'll right. just be like workers yeah. from Amazon, workers from Facebook. Everyone will have their own neighborhood. Well, those, those smart so cities, Mel's brought it up quite a few times on these shows. If you look into it, it is legitimately scary. I mean, you're talking about having sensors all over a city. They know if you're littering, they can send you a, a, a you know, a fee, <laughs> a fine in the mail if they know you're littering. Well, I mean, they can keep track of everything. If you're not wearing a mask, if they end up mandating all these. So all these mandates and all these ridiculous rules and regulations like it just makes it easier for them to fine you and and screw you you know in, in that and regard control so, you. and control, control yeah you. absolutely so it's it's yes. i know it, it's uh you know the the on quite a few shows i've heard even other people talk about them but i'm like i think people don't understand like how scary oh, but, it really is if you look into it but uh but, but yeah believe sorry to interrupt you but no, it's okay like, yeah, i yeah. have i've been in telecom for like 21 years that's actually where i got educated back home in norway and like I looked at the 5G white papers, 
and it's like total uh, and uh, totalitarian control that they can implement. They don't talk about that, of course. There's you know all the great uh, things that you can do, but then you look at China. I did a great in-depth research on China, and then did a presentation at a Red Pill Expo about it, and just the total control that they have with you know I. Uh, I look at these AIs and algorithms that they put up on cameras. Like now they have, you know, emotional uh, recognition in schools in China where, you know, like if they see somebody reacting to the teacher and they are not doing uh, what they want, well, now you're going to get a downgrade on your social credit score. Uh, right. Customer credit. They say that they have that stuff. already. Like I'm sorry to interrupt, but they say they have that already in New York City on certain um, billboards and stuff. That uh, we don't know about, obviously, but that they can track your response to a, well, it's, you know, it's it's very simple to integrate it stuff like it's all software on top of the current CCTV feeds that we get in. So it's not that like it's impossible here. It's You could just e- evenly take any uh, CCTV camera out there is, you know, now there's privately and publicly there's, you know, millions of cameras everywhere here in Mantle, everywhere that I go. Uh, and then you could just implement software on top of it. And now we have the software layer with the AI and everything running it. And now you could start to implement that whole, you know, wider range of totalitarian controls. Yeah, like, it, it's, it's scary. We, yeah. I had uh, I have a lot of people send me stuff because they know I do this podcast. And I had some random fans send me a link to a bunch of hidden cameras on like power lines. And you, of course could, you could hack it. Yeah. yeah and, and, and they were just like, I, I, you could see live tv like people's houses and backyards walking around and i'm like anybody can just go into this and see i'm like this is great they gotta they gotta protect themselves like people just put i put up cameras for people all day long and they don't understand that they need to really protect themselves with a good password on those cameras or else they're totally screwed or just even like don't have it off grid like don't even like because as soon as you plug it in either china or south korea or the u.s whoever owns the equipment is going to have eavesdropping from their agents Absolutely. Well, guys, I, I know uh, we've been we've been on for a while. Uh, obviously, everybody's always invited back. I, I, lo- I love having all you guys back, and I always do my best to try to have mix in some new and and unusual and, and interesting people. And uh, I think today we had an awesome conversation. Can we let everybody know uh, if you guys want to? You know, Ed. I mean, I don't want to hear from Ed because he's been talking all night. But um. <laughs> Uh, I'm just kidding. What's up, hey, thanks for being What's with up? us. Hey, how's it going, guys? Yeah, uh, glad to be here. Sorry to go pick up kids. I just got back in. Okay. Yeah, how, yeah, how dare you be a good parent and miss the show? Yeah, you um, know. <laughs> but uh, but can can you tell everybody if everybody wants to take turns? Let them know if uh, the listeners want to connect with you. Uh, any upcoming work where they can get your podcast shows? Uh, anything like that? I guess we can start with uh, whoever whoever wants to go. I'll do it. Um, my show is Macroaggressions. It's on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, YouTube, and Iconic. And got a new book coming out in a, in a couple of weeks with Jeff Berwick called The Controlled Demolition of the American Empire. And, uh, and maybe we'll get Jeff to come on here. Yeah, He's not definitely. having cocktails. Um, or even <laughs> just, Who whatever. says you can't drink um, during this show? I mean, yeah, yeah. there's no rules. Yeah. Nancy, you want to go next? You want to let us uh, let people know yes, where they can. Nancy Guberti, that you could find me on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and then I have a podcast, Total Wellness Empowerment and Healthy Living Everyday Book. It's all about functional medicine and alternative medicine. Uh, I'm an impulsive woman, Mel Mel Grill. I'm impulsive woman on uh, Twitter. My website is manicmanhattan.com and I have a book coming out, Manic in Manhattan. 
and uh, uh, I, I love this. I love everyone here. God, <laughs> if only we could just be the microcosm that is the world. But that would be fantastic. That's it. Yeah. Truthzilla. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, so we're Truezilla or Truezilla Podcast. We got a YouTube channel. We're on all the podcast players. Um, follow us uh, at Truthzilla Pod on Twitter and then Truezilla on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, hit us up. We're pretty accessible and we have a good time. Thank you. Yes. And John, you wanna? Yeah, you could you could find me at theeconomictruth.org. Everything that I do is on there. And then uh, I actually posted in our chat if you guys want to join us because me and Tim we have our crazy Discord channel because we went off of Facebook and everywhere else because we. We know what's coming, so we actually have uh, like 200-something people there now where we talk economics. And I, I literally post uh, articles every day that people need to know about. And we have some really great conversations on money and economics in there for those who are uh, just wanting to uh, you know, see what, uh, what's happening in the world on the monetary side. And then, of course, if you want to participate, you're, you're more welcome as well because we, we, we love having uh you know uh opinions in there and we got some really fantastic people that are just uh rocking it in there and and we're uh changing changing communities around the world with that with that chat literally. yeah well we have a, a union of the unwanted telegram also i'll send you the link to that um everybody who has ever been on the show yeah, gets uh gets to join and um you know it just keeps getting bigger and people really really enjoy these shows i mean i'm getting so much positive feedback people are excited about this i think the idea of bringing interesting people together and just, I mean, it, it's, I never know how to start these things. And it, I know like all I have to do is get it started and then it just kind of goes on its own. Um, which is why I always suck in the beginning of, because I'm like, like, well, who do I talk to? What do I say? Uh, but I know once it gets going, it's just like, and, and people are really enjoying just being exposed to different people. I mean, there's been so many people who are like, I didn't know about these guys. I didn't know about that guy. I didn't know about, you know, and it's, and it's happening for us too. The, the people who are uh, the guests on the show too. So, uh, people are being exposed to a bunch of really fun and interesting people. And I mean, we're all in this battle together, regardless what different opinions we might. Ha I, I said it too in the chat that I'm going to rant for 20 minutes, even though I'm trying to wind this down and I'm doing it. I can, I caught myself like Ricky, shut up. Um, but anyways, you guys hear me talk all the time, but uh, thanks again, guys. I really appreciate it. I'll let you know when the next one is. And uh, hopefully some of you guys, if not all you guys can join us and, uh, and I'll be sending you the links to the video and audio to share anywhere you want. It's all open source. Uh, so share it anywhere you want, post it anywhere you want, and uh, hopefully some people on the show connect like they do after every show. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ricky. I mean, you put together everyone yeah. here. You know, the good part about your show is everyone, you know, everyone's a good person. You know, yeah, yeah. they're all good people. He's the social chairman. You know, of the fraternity. Yeah, but you know, we're, we're, you've, you've really weeded out like people that really do care, you know, and passionate yeah. and different personalities. But, you know, everyone here is, is that shows up is a good person who has something to share that matters. Yeah, I mean, I, I do it in my personal life. It's funny because my friends will say, they're like, oh, if, if they're a friend of Ricky, they have to be halfway decent. And if, every once in a while, somebody will sneak in. I'm like, he seemed normal. And then, then you're like, well, like, what happened to uh, Joe? I'm like, oh, fuck Joe. Joe's crazy. He's never coming out with us again. <laughs> you know, so, uh, so you know, sometimes. I think, I think it's important that all, this is going out on a bunch of other platforms, too, that like, you know, Ripple Effect podcast. Ricky Verandas, the man behind this thing. Like, you guys, go support Ripple Effect big time, man. Thank oh you. Thank you. Yeah, no, it was, it was uh, you know, we're all a part of this. It's been help from, you know, from Charlie, Sam. I mean, I know, uh, you know, having those guys. And then, obviously, uh, uh, Mike, who who's usually with us. Um, from the OBDM podcast, you know, he's, he, you know, the, it, everybody just has been a huge contributor of all this. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, we're all a part of it. I mean, everybody who joins the, the, the conversation is equally as important 
as everybody else. So it's like we're all a part of this, and I couldn't do it without you guys coming on because then I'd be talking to myself. So, uh, so thanks. Uh, Thank you so much. It was really, really amazing. Thank you, everyone. Right. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, guys. guys. Hey, have a great night. Keep in touch. Take care.